Dr. Jerry Punch. Jer Bear. Can I call it, does anybody call you Jer Bear? Uh, only once, and then, I, and then, he, then once a hospital bill and came, and he was fine. Okay, so I won't call you that ever so again. This podcast is already <laughs> over. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it, folks. Yeah. <laughs> if you could describe this dinner with racers in one word, what would it be? Memorable, I think, because I got to sit here with two guys who love a sport I love, and we got to talk about some great moments in time. Okay, it was really it was just one word. We didn't ask for the sentence there. Okay, annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. Welcome to Dinner with Racers. Dinner with Racers. I'm your host, Ryan Eversley. I'm Sean Heckman. And we are currently driving from Charlotte, North Carolina, down to Atlanta, Georgia, to wrap up this 34-day trip. We did something like 13,000 miles across 25 states to bring you 29 episodes of Season 3, and we're sure you're going to complain about it. But you shouldn't, because holy, holy crap. Holy sh**. Holy sh**. Holy sh**. We have some huge names this year, and of course, one of those is Dr. Jerry Punch. Jer Bear. Now, if you don't know Jerry Punch's story, he is a true legend of the sport. He is truly a doctor. He was a trauma doctor for years at Halifax and Daytona Beach uh, before running his own practice, but he's also done everything from being an ESPN commentator. He's been part of NASCAR. He's been part of IndyCar. And of course, he was in Days of Thunder for crying out loud. My favorite documentary. So, here's some things you're going to learn about with Jerry Punch. So, we heard an insane amount of stories of fixing up drivers. Uh, we learned why our current generation of drivers are a bunch of wussies. We learned that uh, Jerry Bear wrote, directed, and cast the movie Days of Thunder. Uh, he single-handedly found Nicole Kidman. That's true. Started her career. And uh, he also talks about the world's most famous boom operator. He did. He did. Yeah. Short guy. Huge thank you to Mr. Dario Franchitti for driving us in this lovely Acura MDX. Do you, do you think I can? Come on, can I sit in on this one, please? No, that doesn't. That doesn't make no. sense. We already recorded this. Yeah, this is behind. This is like a month ago. We already did it. You drove us there. Anyway, thanks to Acura for letting us use this lovely MDX, and of course, Continental Tires. Continental Tire. Cross Contact. Alex Sport. Jerry Punch, Jerry Bear, Dr. Jerry, DDS. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. Ryan, nice to meet you. Sean, Sean. nice to meet you finally. Come, take a seat. Sorry, that was a... No, that's a... Well, we're going to ask you about that, actually. Yeah. So my first question is, did you know those folks in the lobby? Uh, not really. Uh, oh, not, okay, so you did kind of know them then. Well, a little bit, a little okay. bit. One, one is, um, one is uh, some of the people just are just sports fans. They come sure. in, and I, I, don't, I don't come downtown I, uh, it, very much. If I could get a little more volume, I could hear myself, because all these years in auto racing, I'm deaf. Professional. Yeah, Went right, Boom, right there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't hear a lick. Um, is this okay? But uh, it, it's, uh, my wife tells me I have selective hearing, but that's... Uh, <laughs> Well, the one guy is a station manager for the CBS affiliate here. Oh, okay, okay. And yeah. so they, they, they 
are the host for the SEC Network for okay, college makes football. Sense, right. And I've known him a long time. And, okay. and there are rumblings uh, in the community that that's where I'm headed next is to ah, CBS. So very that's good. why he was asking okay. me that. He says, okay. I, I said, I'm not at liberty to say. Okay. As long I mean, as this is eat. a great place to break news. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this yeah, huge I'm not, podcast. It's liberty to say as long Fair as enough. the uh, as long as the uh, ESPN checks keep coming. You know? <laughs> yeah, 10 points. Uh, Understood. Yeah. But uh, – uh, it's okay to sit while I'm talking, and there's something. Should I stand? Right. You didn't uh, wear a fire suit. We were really hoping you were going to wear <laughs> a fire suit. <laughs> okay. All right. It's okay. Oh my gosh. Cause see, uh, so I come from California, and college football in California, like it's a big deal if you're yeah. like near Stanford or near Cal or whatever. But I mean, we're in Knoxville, Tennessee. Right. And obviously, you know, beyond the motorsports stuff that we know you from, the you know, college football is the sort of other half of your of your your job while you were at, while you were at ESPN. And so I think in a town like this, like, you can't go anywhere. Oh, well, it, you know, it's interesting because there are people who who, who are big NASCAR fans. Right. And, in, and for many years, ESPN would tell us that there's a tremendous crossover between the NASCAR the NASCAR fan on Sunday and the college football fan on Saturday. You walk into a parking lot at Talladega, and it'll have – you'll see all these Alabama yeah, and Auburn stickers. Right. And here yeah. you'll see these Earnhardt stickers, you know. Yeah. And they'll, they'll, yeah, yeah, they'll, yeah. He'll go Vols on one side, another's yeah. Earnhardt. And uh, – yeah, it's it's uh, it, it, people know you from different from right. different genres. People say, well, you know, you do college football. You did yeah. you called that game at at uh, USC last week. I was out in Southern. Yeah, yeah, I did that game. And he said, but uh, wait a minute. Now tell me about Bill Elliott. Is he still really a nice guy? And Chase Elliott, what's going on? <laughs> it's how, about, how about Scott Dixon? Right, right, what right, kind right. of guy? You know, right. it's just it's just funny how people will say these things. <laughs> yeah. And uh, is Scott Dixon a nice guy? Oh, he's, he's a great guy. All he right. is. He's he the best. Got any dirt on him? Not not really. Other than he way over married. Emma is just absolutely not only is she a doll baby, she yeah. is the sweetest lady and right. a great mom. And uh, we're having lunch with them tomorrow, so it's funny oh, that you, you mentioned him as a reference. Where, where, like, where oh. with Scott? With yeah, Scott? Yeah. Well, yeah. tell him I said hello. Yeah. Well, we'll maybe come up later. Actually. We'll, we'll, yeah, maybe I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You know, un, unbelievable guy. Yeah, unbelievable guy. So, so Knoxville, Tennessee. I mean, yeah, huge college football town. I presumably a big NASCAR side of the world. It is. Uh, can you go to a restaurant like this? And, and uh, I, know, I it's it's funny no I it, it's it's most the people are so nice if you walk in these guys at the bar and want yeah, to yeah. talk college football yeah. when we were when I would do games here a lot uh, when I did the primetime Saturday night games we'd come down here after a game because you can walk down from the stadium yeah. and and come in here and it's just great fans both sides you, you know I was at a Georgia I got did a Georgia Tennessee game a few years ago oh, and cool. there were Georgia fans and Tennessee fans in here and and uh, you know and you just got to be careful that uh, one of the analysts I was with had said some things about Tennessee he probably shouldn't have said. So uh, I just told him, make sure you wear a hat or something down there and sunglasses. Yeah, right. He said, it's 10 o'clock at night. I said, it doesn't make a yeah, difference. Yeah, wear yeah. a hat They're and waiting. sunglasses. Right. They'll, they'll know who you are. Stand 10 uh, feet away yeah, from stay, me. Stay yeah, stay away because yeah. these people here are, are hunters for a living and they're real good shots. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Davy Crockett, yeah, he, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a great town. It's a great sports town. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do a – I do a uh, as a, for fun. Yeah. I do a one hour a week on a on a local sports radio show. Uh, it's on the Ball Network, so okay. it's a and uh, and we take calls on sports. And, and and it's amazing how you would think a lot of the calls would be college football. Yeah, we probably get we used to get college football a lot. We used to get a lot of NASCAR. Now we get a lot of Oakland IndyCar calls. Oh, the calls cool. of that's Joseph cool. Newgarden. Yeah. Okay. Joseph Newgarden yeah, is, is the, the first major yeah. open wheel champion. Um, in in you know from Tennessee in history. Yeah. Yeah. Now Sammy Swindell, yeah. you know, people who who are sprint car guys mm-hmm. know that Sammy Swindell from Bartlett, Tennessee, which is just outside of Memphis, he's a three-time World of Outlaw champion. 
Uh, and uh, and then and then of course Daryl Waltrip from Franklin, but he's really from Owensboro, Kentucky, so he came uh, across the line. He and was, I assume people in Tennessee they know like this. Yeah, you yeah, know, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, people yeah, say, well, around. you got Daryl Waltrip was the champion of Tennessee, and I said, well, you know, I'm 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 proud of what Daryl accomplished. Most Tennesseans say we don't claim him. No, yeah. <laughs> no I, I just kidding. I'm just joking. If I'm from California around here, should I never mention that? Uh, no, that's, that's fine. Hey, you know, Tennessee went and played at Cal a few years ago. Ah, yeah. okay. And that's right after I moved here, and people came back and said, do you know, they went to, they went to, to the Cal game in Berkeley, said, do you know there are people sitting in trees out there? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> there were people sitting in trees out there, and, and there were people standing at the bottom of the trees trying to get them out. Right. right. And they were, they were coaxing them. They have, and, and there were fans here. I got a friend of mine that's a judge here, and he's a, uh, 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 and he, he's a fairly well-known judge, and he said, uh, uh, he said there was a guy at the bottom of the tree and some other people trying to talk these people out of the trees. Right. In Tennessee, we, we don't talk about trees. We, we take a chainsaw yeah. <laughs> and we cut the tree down. And they come down quickly. Right. You fire that chainsaw up, they'll come right it's like down. 100%. So, yeah. Yeah. He said the second or third yeah. tree, you know, it's, it's, and, they're, and, they're, and they, they get the message. Yeah, right. different world, my friend. I like it. So speaking of football, you were a walk-on backup quarterback at NC State. I was a backup. May not describe how, describe how far back I was. Okay. Uh, I was. I was. Uh, uh, yeah, I was a walk-on at NC State, um, and my freshman year, and uh, Lou Holtz was the head coach, and right. he couldn't have been nicer to me. Uh, to this day, he tells me. He tells me when we when when he came into broadcasting that uh, first time that we ran the Veer the, the Veer offense the the, okay. the option uh, the mm -hmm. option Veer. And, and I was a decent rollout passer. I, had, I was a pitcher, a baseball pitcher, so I had a decent arm. Right. Didn't have a lot of height. Didn't have a lot of speed. Had no speed, as a matter of fact. Uh, but uh, he told me when I when I ran the uh, first time he saw me run the option, he knew I'd make a really good medical doctor someday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but he he uh, uh, I, I, he he hated fumbles. So our our starting quarterback had a fumble in the scrimmage, and our backup quarterback had a fumble in the scrimmage, and. And I guess the third string guy might have been sick, and fourth string guy might have missed his flight. Sure, I don't know. Sure. Anyway, yeah. I, I somehow I get on the field, and uh, <laughs> he calls me. He calls a triple option, and I and I I'm determined that I'm going to show him that you know the, my foot speed, right? Which I should have known better because I have none. Sure. Uh, and so I, I I pull the ball. You know, you, you you take the snap. You reverse round. You, you pull it out of the belly of the fullback, and you go down the line, and you option the first man out to the tackle's block. I fake the pitch. I turn it upfield, and I am wide open. And I go about 10 yards down, and I get hit. And, and the, the whistle's blowing. The whistle's blowing. Here comes Lou down the field, and he puts his arm around me as we're walking back with that lisp. He's spitting in my face every other word. And he says to me, punch. <coughs> <coughs> it's not that you're slow. It's just you reach your maximum speed quicker than everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and so I said, thanks, coach. And I realized, I realized a little later that wasn't a compliment. Right, yeah, right. It was not you a compliment. shouldn't run. Yeah. <laughs> so, so keeping the ball was not an option for me. Fair enough. So, I mean, we, we, we've done our, our diligence in terms of research. But so you go to school for, you know, hopefully to play football. But where did the, where did the, the, the degree in zoology come in and eventually medical school? Well, the, I went to, I grew up in a small town in North Carolina. And uh, and I just and we had one one GP in town, one general practitioner. Okay. And he was like was like Marcus Welby. You know, this guy had a had a little white house, uh, frame house on the corner in the, on the court square. Yeah. Picket fence. Uh, Doctor Senate, old Doctor Senate was his <laughs> name. And you go down there and you walk in and you sit in the living room and you and his office, his exam rooms were right down the hallway and his yeah. right before Fair you enough. got to the kitchen. Sure. And 
He had a big table in the kitchen. People would come in, farm people would come in, couldn't afford to pay him, and they'd bring a bag of tomatoes or corn or sure, okra or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so, hey, you know, you know what? You can't tax okra. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, <laughs> although in California, I don't know. Uh, but, they, might uh, you know they probably could. I'm yeah, saying nothing. They do you know what okra is? You know. uh, kind of. Right, kind of. Okay. <laughs> I've heard the right. word, but yeah, never mind. Anyway, tomatoes. You know what tomato is? I've don't heard you? of it. Okay, yeah. all right. <laughs> so they, so they uh, but that's what I wanted to grow up and be, a, be a, and he was my hero. When he was, when I was about five years old, I don't remember it. I can remember it. And I had a croup, and I was running fever 100, 405. You know, back then, he's the only doctor in the whole yeah. county. He'd come out and make a house call, right. okay. even though he was a busy man. Two o'clock in the morning, he takes me, and I'm and I'm burning up with fever. In the dead of winter, he puts me into a tin tub out on the back porch, and they pour water in it, and I'm I'm shaking, and suddenly I'm I'm shivering, but it breaks the fever, and and. Uh, uh, so I remember just how special he was. So I wanted to be a, a, a small-town general practitioner. Nice. Yeah. So I get a chance to go to college, uh, walk on to play a little football, uh, and uh, and then uh, I wanted to go to pre-med, but they didn't have a pre-med major at NC State. It's an engineering school. Okay. So I said well, I could take all the same courses and, and, and be in biology and zoology. So yeah. I sort of had a double major in, in uh I majored in like chemistry and math, and then I had a zoology degree. Right. And uh, I was sort of the guy. I love math, I love chemistry, and I hated taking humanities courses, sure. and the, the anthropologies and stuff. But and uh, so, but uh, and that's really what happened. I went straight from there to med school. I was right. very very fortunate. My brother was a much better athlete. He was five years older than me. He was an All-American at NC State. Oh, cool. He was a baseball player. Oh, cool. And uh, so uh, anyway, that's that's how that worked. And then, you know, I I I'd play. Uh, I played in the spring game uh, my freshman year, played in the spring football game at Carter-Finley Stadium, uh, got in the car, drove like crazy two and a half hours to Metrolina Speedway in Charlotte to run a 100-lap feature that night. Nice. You yeah. know, so, uh, and the, Ned Jarrett was a promoter, by the way. Right. He was like okay. a second right. father to me. So he was, uh, so that's that's sort of how, how that all happened. And yeah. so that's the cool thing about you. It's not that you, like, fell into broadcasting and learned to like the sport. Between the two sports you've covered the most, you grew up as a racer. Yeah. And grew up as a football player. So these are things that sort of naturally grew into what you're well, doing. And being a medical doctor, yeah. you know, they said, you know, and, and I love sports. And they, you know, was in Florida and I'm, I'm, I'm over at the Speedway. And, and they, you know, they called. And it's funny how, you know, I, I, I love the sport, knew it inside out. Um, uh, we had a guy in our family. We called him Uncle Bobby. He really wasn't my uncle, but Bobby Isaac was our was uh, yeah. because he was adopted into the family. But we, we called him. He was like, and I, so I followed his career growing up when I was little. Land speed records at Bonneville and the K and K Dodge, and and uh, being around his race shops. I'd be around the race cars, and growing in and, and see all these legends and racers around. And I'm this little guy. Yeah. And then when I was in high school, um, uh, Hickory Speedway, which is the legendary short track in the Carolinas, oh, yeah. was right behind my grandfather's farm. So we'd be out there on the farm, and every Saturday from about noon on, you'd hear the cars ready, practicing and ready, getting ready for that night. And my grandfather, my grandfather Sam was a uh, security guard at the Speedway. And what, what the, the guy, the promoter of the Speedway at Hickory, uh, he knew a lot of short tracks had, had uh, it, it was they're pretty rowdy, you know, mm -hmm. they had fights and stuff, and people were stealing money at the gates. And so what he did, it's North Carolina, he went to the churches in the area and said, I want to hire your deacons of your churches to be my gate guards. I'll pay you well, and I'll donate back to every church. And then I'm going to hire the ladies of the church, these good old country women, to come in and cook in the concession stand. I mean, you won't find uh, better. Sure. You talk yeah, about yeah. fresh-made meatloaf and yeah, yeah, mashed right. potatoes. I mean, it yeah. wasn't your typical concession stand. I yeah. mean, people would go there just to, just to eat, and I have to watch it. Have right. you not had the meatloaf at Daytona? Yeah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I mean, that's, I mean, that's <laughs> the, way it, the way it was. So, that, but my, well, I would go, when I was little, I would go with my grandmother. 
and we would sit up in the stands. My grandfather would, would my grandmother would bring him a big thermos of coffee, and yeah. she'd make her homemade pimento cheese. Nice. You know, grind up the cheese and pimentos, <laughs> yeah. and put the, and yeah, we yeah. sit there and watch these cars go by, and some guy named Ralph Earnhardt, and we called him Dink Widenhouse, and yeah. you know the Richard and Lee Petty would come by. You know the 42, 43. Uh, uh, it it was just you know amazing back in those right. days. And then that's how I grew up. And then I started as I got to became a teenager. I started I started not only working on the barn, I'm working on tractors. I work on race cars in the area, and I'd volunteer working on race cars. So that's really how I started. And so I'd heard a story that you were working. I thought as like a, maybe taking tickets or something one night, or maybe doing the scoreboard. Yeah. And the main commentator couldn't be there that night. And Ned Jarrett came to you and said, "Hey, I need somebody in the booth. Get up there." Well, yeah. What it was is I worked up there in the scoreboard. Just, you know, and uh, Ned was the promoter. And, and Ned would do the announcing, and I sat beside him, and I was in medical school. So I was, and Ned would pay me just enough money to go back to med school. It was a, it was a great night to get my brain cleared for a few hours, and I'd, pay, I'd make like $35 a night, and that was enough to buy diapers and formula and macaroni for the week, and, you know, that's how we sort of. And so, <laughs> sure. so Ned, Ned was actually going to Darlington to be inducted into the National Motorsports Press Association Hall of Fame, and he had hired Barney Hall the legendary MRN announcer, to come host because it was a ladies' night. It was going to be a packed house. I mean, there be <laughs> nice. 3,000, 4,000 yeah, people there. Right. And so he's Ned's gone, and Barney got the dates mixed up So because Barney was at the NMPA in it, too. Sure. And Ned walks in, sees Barney hosting that night. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, the track. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only person to track besides Ned's mom, Ned's, uh, Ned's wife, was his youngest son, Dale. Okay. He's yep. a few young, years younger than mine. We've heard of him. At the time, yeah. Dale was very bashful, and he runs up in the tower and said, Dad's not here. We have no announcer, and I'm not going to talk. Right. You know, what are we going to do? And he said, "You got to do it." You know, everybody kid me, called me Doc. And, and, and how old? Are you, like 23, 24? Yeah, I probably will see. How, yeah, probably 23. So yeah. I, I pick up the microphone. I'd seen Ned, you know, and I start start calling the show. And we have a pre-race show, blah blah blah, all the races, events, and then I'm calling the races. Well, Ned gets back the following week, and here finds out he, you know, that hey, it went pretty well, and I guess he got some compliments from people in the crowd. And he said, "Why?" He said, "Why?" Ned said, "You know, why am I killing my voice?" On Saturday night, when I got to get in, the, get in my van and drive to wherever MR is on Sunday, yep, yep. when I could have you be, you know, split it with me. Right. Well, what happened then? I started doing that, and then Ned had me go with him to do qualifying at the Cup races because there was no live qualifying back then. He'd pull his van in and do them on a local FM station out of Statesville, <laughs> right. a 50,000 watt <laughs> FM station that would go all the way up into Virginia, West Virginia, and yeah, South, yeah. South Carolina. And so we would, he'd pull the van right on the pit road behind where the cars are lined up, the Bush van. That's was, awesome. And Ned and I would sit there and do qualifying, and we'd put the doors of the van open, and the drivers would go out to qualify and come back in. They'd climb out and come and get in the van and talk to us. No way. Go th- come get in the- and, and <laughs> Just if, like today. If somebody, <laughs> if somebody would be angry, you know, Ned would say, hey, hey, Doc, go get him. So I'd go get Kale. I'd go get David Pearson, oh, whatever. That's awesome. And uh, some of these guys would sit in the van forever and just right. chat. Marty Robbins, the legendary country music. Marty and I, at the end of the show, at the last car we get ready to go, Neb said, I got to go do the Bush Pole Award because that's what he was working for, too. And I would finish up with Marty or whoever yeah. and, then, and then close the show down. So that's really how it all started. Yeah. Nice. You couldn't just tweet it out? Yeah. What's that? You couldn't just tweet out the results? No, okay, you couldn't do that. You couldn't do that back <laughs> then. Were, yeah, yeah. Couldn't not get a, a signal. Not at all. Not at all. That's incredible if you think about it. Like, you see, like, any of the legends of the sport being like, is this the van? I'll hop in this one. Yeah, you know. like. I mean, these guys, I mean, I'd go in them and say, hey, David Pearson, Richard Petty. You name it, Kale. All these guys would come to the van, and they would tell stories. Marty Robbins was unbelievable. You know, when I and I got to know these guys so well, uh, and you know, and be around them so much that it was like family. You know, and so when Marty ran his last race at Atlanta, uh, he'd had his heart problems and came back and was going to run some more. And 
and uh, ran a few laps and had, a, had an issue. Well, he went in the garage area, so our producer back then, I was doing television, doing, doing ESPN, producer said, uh, how about you running back there uh, and interview Marty because you know him. And I went back there, and I'm, I'm walking in the garage, and I can see he's the only car in there. He's way back in the back of the garage where some of the guys, that, you know, lesser-funded teams were. And I see him get out of the car, and, he, and he's really, you could tell he's struggling a little bit to breathe. You know, he had the heart, heart, heart issue. And he leans on the side of the car, and he looks left, and he looks right, and he looks down at his feet, looks around. I guess basically he's saying, it's over. It's over. I know I can't do this. I, this has been a great life, and I've enjoyed it. And then, and, uh, and I got there, and he, he was typical Marty. You know, couldn't have been nicer. Um, and then a few weeks later, he was gone. We lost him. So, uh, you know, just, you know, those those are the kind of things, great memories of being a part sure, of this sport right. over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking back in those days, did that van have a bumper sticker that said, if this van's a talking, <laughs> don't come a knocking? You know, should have. It should have. Yeah. yeah. They needed me. Yeah. I, right. I, I, exactly. Ned Jarrett would drive. Your time. It was an Anhe <laughs> Anhe big Anheuser-Busch van. Remember the old yeah. logo with the mountains? And the oh, Bush yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's driving down the Darlington. He and I are driving. We drove. And I got to ride with Ned a lot of places. So I'd hear all the great stories of back when he was racing with Fireball Robertson. I mean, all the legendary stories. And we're driving down through the PD area of South Carolina on our way to Darlington. It's 104 in the shade. You know, we're headed down for the Southern 500 on Thursday. And we're about 10 miles from the speedway, and it's just dusty, and it's got, I mean, it's got to be just stifling. It's got to be at least 100. And there's a farmer out on a tractor about a, maybe a quarter of a mile out in this field, and there's dust everywhere. And, and qualifying, it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. Qualifying starts at 1. So we've got plenty of time. We're only 10 miles away. And Ned says, hang on a second. This is the kind of guy Ned Jarrett was. He pulls the van over. So what are you going to do? He says, hang on. He goes in the back of the van, opens up the cooler in the back of the van. He's got a bunch of bush beer iced down for qualifying. He grabs one out of the bottom of that cooler. He walks out, tromping out across that field, waves at the farmer, goes all the way up. The guy stops the farm. He hands him that bush beer, talks to him for a minute, comes back. I said, what are you doing? He said, first of all, I work for Anheuser-Busch. He said, so that he, he will never taste a beer that tastes any better than that one out there. He'll become a bush beer fan from now on. So I got that's one check mark. Number two, I said, hey, man, the qualifying starts in a couple hours. You, have you come to the racetrack? He said, I ain't never been down there. I got too, I'm too busy on the farm. He said, well, look, he said, get it done. I got a couple tickets here for qualifying. He had them in his pocket, free qualifying coupons. Come on down, watch qualifying. So number two, he was an ambassador for the sport. Ambassador for Bush and ambassador for NASCAR. So when the first couple of years when we were, when I was a, a voting member for the Hall of Fame committee, and we were trying to determine who to put in the Hall of Fame. Someone said, we got all these guys on our list. Uh, anybody have a so I, I stood up and I told that story about Ned Jarrett. I said, yeah. if that's not an ambassador and that's not a guy that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, I don't know what is. That yeah. literally just gave you chills. Yeah, that is. <laughs> that's uh, incredible. Well, and when you think about like today's modern crop in terms of that combination between being a, a winning driver, a capable guy, but also just understanding the all-around aspect of the sport from the marketing mm -hmm. side, who would you say comes closest to that now? Comes closest to to understanding so just being an, yeah all like understanding the entire sport all around, being a great ambassador and, and not just being a a driver or, or this role or that role well it's 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 hard to say there's so many of these guys so many of these guys understand how you know that the sports in a real in a real um critical period yeah. right now in terms of in, in open wheel racing yep. and stock car racing uh open wheel racing has been there off and on and has been able to climb out of stock car racing is there now and they've got to they've got to figure it out and so they, they but there's guys that that uh there's guys that are always accommodating for the fans. Uh, I'll tell you, Matt Kenseth, for example, to me, doesn't get near enough credit for 
for, for what he does with the fans. He, he will not walk anywhere in the garage area. Or I, I actually saw him in a mall. I saw him in a Home Depot in Charlotte. Uh, my wife and I were in, and he was, he, he'd was he been working on something on his house. Yeah. He was dirty, you know, just yeah. while he and his wife were in there. Buying some Stanley people, tools. Some people, right, as you pe- do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. came in, yeah. and they and they and somebody yelled, and he went all the way across the store to say hello to some kids. And oh, that's cool. That's he's, awesome. I mean, yeah. the, the, the Carl Edwards was always that way. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, you know, there's so many. That's one of the reasons that the Richard Petties of this world and the Dale Jarrett's and the Mark Martins and all these guys were just, you know, so good. Uh, um, you know, Jeff Gordon was always was always pretty good. Now, when Jeff got there initially, I think he was a little bit intimidated by suddenly the, the celebrity status. And so right. remember he went through that period of having yeah, the security yeah. guards around him <laughs> and push people away. Yeah. Right. I was in Dale Earnhardt's bus in Daytona. Uh, I think I think the first, after Jeff won his first championship. And he comes out of the garage area in February, and people are just wanting to swarm him. And Jeff's not, not a big guy. He's young, too, very young, for, and uh, and having to learn, well, you know, he's got security guards in front of him. And so we're back there in the bus, and Dale's, Earnhardt's watching the, the TV feeds. Look at that. Boy's got security guards around him. I mean, he can't have that. So he sent his manager to go get go get that boy and bring him in here. And so they went and got they went and got went and got Jeff Gordon the ring. and brought him in there and said and said he said man he said you got to ditch the security guards and Jeff said you understand said I and Dale said I do understand I want a bunch of these yeah, yeah. and said I was I'm a lot Dale of people Earnhardt. around yeah. me I, I get I get it he he said but I'll, he said you just got to he said what do I do and Dale said you just don't ever stop walking you sign an autograph and keep walking you just sign one and keep walking and if you ever stop and get surrounded you're dead in the water you're gonna have to you know he said but don't ever stop just keep walking and signing. And said, but ditch the security guard. Man, that's not what we do. Having these people close to us is what makes this sport so special. And that was great advice from Dale. I mean, and they became, you know, you know, friends, even though he toasted him with milk, you know, at the at the, at the the championship awards banquet in New York. But, um, yeah, that's a uh, lot, lot, of, lot of good. But uh, answering your question, who now? Um, boy, um, you know, everybody in their own ways. A lot of guys in their own way that that really are are, are that really. Some of the guys, the young guys, get it. Um, um, and are you know, Carl always thought Carl Edwards did such a nice job, um, and, um, and 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 we're being great champ. Kyle Busch was a great champion. Kyle, it's amazing. You know, and I I would say this to Kyle because I have said this to Kyle, but maturity, uh, having a few extra birthdays and getting married, marrying a wonderful woman. Helped him so much in so many ways, uh, and he was a wonderful champion for the sport. Kevin Harvick, you know, has has been a great spokesman for for the sport. Um, you know, I I just um, you know, and I think that probably today, among the names that are the most competitive, the guys I think that probably get it the most are someone like Martin Truex Jr. Sure. Because okay. yeah, yeah. He, he grew up, he understands. His dad was a racer. Yeah. Right. It was, the, it was Dale Earnhardt who, who gave him a chance and yeah. called him, and he hung up on him thinking it was a prank from his buddies. <laughs> right. And Dale said, boy, don't hang up on me again. You know, and it was him calling to give him a shot. Right. Uh, and, and because Dale knew his daddy, and I knew Martin's dad, Martin Sr. Yeah. And Martin was such a good person. He's no different today than he was before he ever won his first race. And he's so un, unassuming. He's, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a Scott Dixon kind of guy. He'll fit in anywhere with anybody because he's just that kind of person. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So our joke we had was you're, you have a degree in zoology and you're a doctor. That's not a veterinarian? 
Nope, nope, nope. nope. I'm, a, I'm a regular people doctor. Nope. So I'm a, I'm our, our hope was this whole time. I wouldn't say normal people, but they're not any normal people. No, they people never are. I, if you ever watch television, you don't find any normal people. Our hope was this whole time that you're Dr. Jerry Punch, but what no one knew is that you were a veterinarian. Yeah. That would, that would have been, you would have made yeah, us so no, happy if that no, was true. No, uh, but, you know, no, no the, the, the medical doctor, it's like people, the one guy I thought I was a dentist one time came out to pit road and had his yeah, finger right. in his mouth and said, what should I do with that? I said, I think you should see a dentist. <laughs> He's probably talking yeah. to someone else. He, yeah. said, he said, what do you do? I said, I'm a trauma doctor. If you get right. a shot, give me a shout. <laughs> I said, if you, get a, if you get a bullet hole or a stab wound or a heart attack stroke, let me know. I said, I, you know, right. we have discounts on Tuesdays. Well, and you were, <laughs> and, I mean, I think a lot of people know this, but you were a trauma surgeon. I was at, a, an, ER, an ER physician, okay, so a trauma, so, trauma physician. Okay. We saw a lot of stuff that I worked in Florida. Hospital? worked in Florida. I okay. had an ER group when I was, when I went to Florida, uh, I, I worked at Halifax Hospital right down oh, from wow. Daytona. Yeah, so okay. then I, uh, and so then I started my own. I worked for somebody else. I started my own company okay. just north of Florida, north of, of Daytona there. So I was always close to the Speedway. Sure. Um, and then when I would take off on weekends and fly to do, go do races, they were going to fly on the NASCAR planes. So they would call me. One of the pilots would call me, or Mr. France would have somebody call me and say, find out what time Doc Punch can leave. And I'd say, well, I, I can be out of here at 3 o'clock on Thursday. They were so good to me because I, I otherwise I couldn't go. But they would fly, and I'd, I'd, I, would, I would grab this. I'd be in my scrubs. I'd get over to the NASCAR hangar, I'd pull my scrubs off, put on a pair of jeans and a navy blazer, and no jump on kidding. the plane and go. Wow. And we'd do the race in Michigan or Dover or whatever on Sunday night. It'd be you know, after inspection. We'd get back on the plane, yeah. 8 o'clock, be back there at 11, 12. I had to be in the ER at 6 in the back morning. Back to work. Back to Daytona Beach. Wow. Back to work. So, uh, uh, But it was great. They, they were so good to me. Now, if the Francis needs, needed something, uh, growing up, if I needed to help anybody, I, I was more than happy because yeah. they were so good to me. Yeah. Couldn't have been nice. Bill, Bill France yeah. Sr., uh, wonderful man. Uh, big giant of a man, soft-spoken. Um, and uh, and, I, and I, I love that man because he cared so much about his race teams. Bill France Jr. was so wise, I mean, un unbelievably smart, and he ruled with an iron fist. That wisdom... And that iron fist rule is what, sort of what we're missing a little bit today. Sure. Really interesting. Well, okay. you kind of see that across a lot of yeah. different motorsport yeah, yeah. disciplines. So, actually, one of the questions I had, so my mother's a nurse practitioner. And yeah. one of the most common things that happens to her away from work is, like, the neighbors will come over with their kid having a fever or something like that, and they want her to deal with it. And she's always very sketchy to do that because oh, yeah. she's yeah. terrified of being liable or whatever. And you are, really. Well, that's what I'm saying. you're a medical practitioner, you're yeah. You know, that's why I, I, my, people used to fuss at me because I would stop at, stop at accidents on the highway to help out. I mean, <laughs> and I did. Um, uh, it's funny. Uh, I, I was working in an ER just north of Daytona uh, off and on before I started my own company. And, and during speed weeks, I was the PA announcer for Volusia County Speedway, the big half-mile dirt track. And they had the World Series of Dirt and had hundreds of legendary dirt track races from all the country. So it's every night. Well, I'm and I'm doing PA at the Speedway Daytona during the daytime, and then doing MRN in the afternoon. So just a little, I'm, I'm, and, and and on call at night in the emergency room. So, aside from that, I was you know I was really a lot busier than I should have been. I, you know, but uh, burning the candle. But I'm out there and I get out. I get out. We race gets over at midnight. I'm driving back down. I think it's Highway 40 from Ocala back toward uh, Daytona Beach. And there's a horrendous car. There's a car on fire in the middle of the highway. Uh, somebody, some kids in a Mustang. It, or flying down the straight road and hit a family in a big sedan and, and the cars hit head on and they both cars exploded and the big sedan rolled into a swamp and I'm down there and, and it's just a horrible scene. I mean, the, 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 the grandparents in the front seat are dead and, and one of the parents in the back and 
she's holding a child and I'm in there. I'm literally, literally in the swamp, in the car. A, a paramedic was coming from the racetrack. He stopped and put his big light down there where I could see. And I put a, and I, I put a central line in her heart to try to keep her fluid volume up to keep her alive enough to get her to the hospital. Leanne once gets there and the guy recognizes me because I'm the ER doc at the hospital in, the, in, in town. So, and I get all this done. And then they get back to the hospital, and the ER doc there and the, the trauma guys on call said, who did this? And it was a Dr. Punch. And what's he doing out there? You know, kind of deal. Right. But they had no idea that I had another that life. That's what you did, you know, right, that was sure, what I did. Sure. But, uh, yeah, you do those kind of things, and you, but you do worry about, you know. I was going to say, it's like in the, at the track, how often is it? Hey, can you look at this thing on my arm? Like, like is that a common <laughs> thing? Because I assume you want to get the heck away from those kind of questions. You do. Well, Dr. Right. Punch said it was fine. Do so. you have yeah, any you, penicillin? You yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, we've had, I've, I've injected more people. I put IVs in drivers that were, I got called uh, to a, a driver's hotel room. It actually was right down the hallway from my room uh, at Wilkesboro one night, and he was leading the points, and uh, and and he had, you know, he was a big time driver. And he was doubled over in pain. His wife said he's having a heart attack. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning, so they called me. Uh, they didn't have cell phones back in. They just called the front desk. They knew I was staying there, and they rang my room. And I said, be right there. He's doubled over in pain while he was having a gallbladder attack. And so I called his primary care guy back in Alabama, and we talked about everything that needed to happen. And and uh, and he said, I got a race for him. I'm leading the points. I'm on the front row. I said, man, you can't. You know. So I said, we'll talk about it. I said, tell you what I'll do. Uh, I, we'll get you fixed up here tonight. I'm gonna, tomorrow morning when we get to the racetrack, I'm going to call uh, the medical center at Wake Forest. They're sending a helicopter up. I'm going to have them put this fluid, this fluid, this fluid on. We're going to put an IV in the morning in, in, the, in the garage area. We'll find a private place, put the IV in. We'll give you some stuff. And I said, and I'm going to check with your crew chief. He said, he said, you can't tell anybody. I said, listen, I'm going to check with your crew chief like every 30, 40 laps. As long as you're talking clearly and he can hear you and I can hear you, I'm not. But, but if you start getting a little bit fuzzy, I'm going to go to NASCAR. We're going to pull you off the racetrack. He said, otherwise, I'll do it now. He said, no, deal, 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 we're good. So, I mean, I, I went, no one ever knew. I'm doing the broadcast on ESPN. No one ever knew. And the guy finished second in the race. And, uh, and, and, but, I mean, that's the kind of stuff you do because, and put people trust you. They trust me as a medical doctor. And I would never let them, let them put themselves in a position to compromise, you know, themselves on the racetrack. You know, I, I, I had, you know, I've had that happen, Tom. Dale Jarrett, I'll, I can use the name because Dale told the story. Dale Jarrett was leading the points uh, and had broken a rib. I think he broke a rib in a wreck at Charlotte. And we go to Dover next week, and he's got two broken ribs. And he's trying to get in the car at Dover, and he ran one lap, and he's screaming in pain. He can't breathe. So we called a local uh, uh, anesthesia place there, and they, they sent an anesthesiologist out to the racetrack. And I told him, I said, well, here's what we got to do. we got to block this nerve these two nerves on the ribs here. And uh, and this anesthesiologist said, I can't do that to I can't. So I'm not going to swab yeah, this yeah, guy yeah. in and put a needle in his chest. What happens if I collapse his lung? And I said, he's already short of breath. What, you know, yeah. it, it, you know, and they said, I can't do that. So I did it. If I say, it might make his crew chase life easier. So, so, so I, yeah. I, 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 we did a, we did a nerve block right there in the, right outside the garage at Dover. He got in the car and, and, uh, and won the championship. So you're like the dream doctor to have on site well, then. Can I just say that like nowadays, it's like, yeah, that guy spun me, mean tweet. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's those guys like, yeah, go ahead and stick the needle in here. Yeah. Let's get these. I, I, I like, got a race today. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. Richard Petty. Richard Petty had, had run had this long series of races. It's a true story. Long series of races where he had not missed a race. Yeah. And he's in Daytona. And it might have been one of the CBS races where he, uh, uh, he, he the wheel breaks and he hits the wall and bounces it off the wall. And, uh, uh, and he, um, um, 
and, and you can see on the camera, the onboard camera, he goes forward. And he leans so far because the bar, the, the, the belts weren't really good back then. He hits his right shoulder on the crossbar, and it pushes the shoulder out the back, dislocates the shoulder out the back. So, um, you know, they bring him to the Enfield Hospital, and the next week is Richmond, 400 laps at Richmond on the fairground. And we get up there, and, and, and Dale Inman, his crew chief, and then called me and said, Doc, what are we going to do? He's got to drive. And, and I said, well, he said, you know, it's back in place, but he can't move his shoulder because it would fall, he would go out. It had to be, he said, but he's got to drive, and it's, we can't drive one hand. I said, Tim, let's, let's cock the seat up, move, move the shifter over. Back then, you didn't have, you didn't have road racing shifters. So he, and I said, you just have to move his wrist. And I said, as far as the pain's concerned, let's talk about this. We, we had some, some discussions, and, and Richard was literally inhaling Goody's headache powder. Oh. You know, remember, he used to promote the Goody's yeah, headache powder. he's a man powder. of a sponsor. That's yeah. why he has no stomach now, because he, yeah. he ate through. But, but uh, uh, so we said, okay, race morning, we go in there, and we're going to tape his shoulder in place. So we, got, we, 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 we had his white T-shirt on. He's, he's just real skin and bones. We put the white T-shirt on. We tape and tape and tape, and, and he moves his arm out, and it comes out. And I said, because the T-shirt's moving. I said, Richard, we're gonna just we gotta take the T-shirt off and tape you. So we put all this white, white uh, tape on, you know, hospital tape. He moves it, it comes out. I said, Richard, we he, we had to go to driver driver introduction. I said, tell you what, get the duct. I told Dale him get the duct tape. So we took silver duct tape and black duct tape and we taped his on shoulder in place to his skin, to his skin. And and he did he can move his arm down here, but it stayed in good. And so I kept checking. Richard ran every lap of that race. And I told Dale Emma, and I said, now, when the race is over, I said, and he, whatever, you know, bring him. And I'd go by every 50 laps and check on him. I said, hey, Richard, he said he hadn't complained. He hadn't said a word. Yeah. He said he's probably just gritting his teeth just trying to hang <laughs> on. Right. But he, I think he finished I think he finished one lap down like 10th or whatever. But <laughs> That's he ran, a win. He ran That's 399 laps, you know, with a, with a dislocated shoulder. Right, right. And, and, and uh, I said, when, he, when the race is over, bring him back to the hauler. And sit him down here and then take his fire suit off and let him just sit here and cool down for like 30, 35, 40 minutes. I said, don't touch him for 40 minutes. And so a week later, they came to me and said, what was the deal about having him come back here and cool off for 40 minutes? I said, well, I wanted to be able to get off the air on MRN and get the heck out of here before you start pulling that duct oh, tape yeah. off. <laughs> he said, oh, he was screaming. I said, I wanted to be out of the racetrack before you started hearing that squall from the duct tape. But these guys, those guys back then were, were, were that's gladiators. Like, that's like dire. I mean, you yeah. were, like, committed at that level. That's oh, amazing. You, that's you got, awesome. And he did it. He drove. Yeah. He drove. He never complained. Never complained once. Yeah. I hope every sports car driver just heard that story next yeah. time they complain about their cool suit. Or like my drink bottle wasn't the right one. That yeah. was someone else's drink bottle. Yeah, his, uh, Richard Richards said his best ever birthday present one year. Uh, his birthday was July second, I think, second or third. He said his best ever. He told uh, he told Dale Inman. He told uh, he told Chief. He said uh, Maurice Petty. He said what he said. What do you want for your birthday? We're going to Daytona. And Richard said air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> so they went and got a box. They went and got an igloo cooler, right, yeah. an old old time igloo cooler, and they put ice in it and a fan motor yeah. and a tube that ran to his face, and they and, and that was his air conditioner. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Okay. That was I mean that was the first that ever is, we modified still use cool that now, yeah, just like yeah. Pratt and Miller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's exactly. the same thing. Same yeah. as in sports car racing. Yeah. It seems like there's been quite a lot of situations for you that have happened because what's important to point out is like while you're dealing with duct taping Richard Petty's shoulder in place. You're then turning and going to MRN or whatever broadcast team you're with at the time and calling the race and calling pit lane. 
these weren't like, hey, good thing Dr. Punch is here. We can just pull him over and have a look at it. It's like, hey, when you get a minute finishing up with that Wood Brothers pit stop, can you come glue someone's leg back together or whatever it is? Well, you know what I mean? Like, these aren't know, I, planned I, out. You're not there for that reason, but you're no, a doctor you're not, nonetheless. You're not. I, I, uh, I, uh, I've been very blessed. And I've told people I've worked with have been very understanding. They know that if something, I, you know, if something happens on pit road, someone's injured or critically injured, and I'm, I'm an ER doc. I'm, a tra I'm trained. And uh, calling a pit stop has to take a back seat. I have to, I have to go do what I'm trained to do. And they, and they knew that. They knew that. And I've, I've irrigated gasoline out of people's eyes and gas, gas men. And we get this, guys that have been, I was in a big fire. One of the reasons we wear fire suits is because I was, uh, we were doing the, the race in Atlanta. Richard Petty's car backfired and caught on fire. And the gas man was on fire. And, uh, and my assistant, you know, Nelson Crozier and I, the two firemen that were the volunteer firemen, they boogied in opposite directions. And then he's he's on fire. His apron's on fire, and it was and so we laid him down. And it was a mat there that they on the on the ground that used to be able to roll the cans without. And so we rolled a mat around him, and then I and then we were on ABC, and I had a navy you know blazer, a wide roller sports blazer on. And when I stood up together after we got him okay and got him loaded, I stood up to get the report. I had a mustache. Mustache was saying the hair was gone off my arm and forearm. The 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 windscreen on my mic was melted, and so. Uh, I mean, was, and I was sort of scorched a little bit, but I wasn't burned. So our our uh, big boss at ABC, when I left the track that day on the way to the airport in Atlanta, he called me and he said, I, we, we, still, we sit in horror in New York and watched you do what you did with that guy and said, we're so thankful you did. He said, we're just so thankful you weren't burned. He said, why in the world? We had no idea that those cars could backfire and explode gas tanks. He said, from now on, you guys have got to be in fire suits. And, that, and that's what caused it. I still have the very first fire suit. My wife gives me I have a thousand fire suits in the boxes, and I have the very first fire suit we ever put us in. Um, and I looked like a giant pimento or a pumpkin. <laughs> it was an orange fire suit, but that's okay. Just they wanted us to be protected, and that's sure. how it all started. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's crazy. I'd read that story about you having to help out with the burns and everything on pit lane, but the story that stands out to me uh, again in Atlanta is the Don Marmer. <laughs> Oh accident, my gosh! Which I didn't. I'd never. I mean, I've followed you my whole career, and I never yeah. heard that story before, let alone seen that wreck. And so, if you're listening, go to YouTube, Don Marmer, Arca, Atlanta crash. Oh. Sean saw it for the first time today. That is one of the biggest impacts you'll see back then, and that's before any of the technology we have now. And it's just brutal. But you were on pit lane. I think MRN at the time, maybe ESPN. Uh, it was, it, was, a, it right? was an e, it was an ESPN. Yeah. But it was going to be. It was it was no live coverage. Right. It was tape delay. Going to air like the following Thursday. Yeah. And I'm down in turn one covering the leaders for the ARCA race. And so and, there, and there's no TV monitors on pit road, no scoring monitors. All we know that it was a it was a, a bad crash out of coming out of turn four at the other end of pit road and um, and and that they were gonna red flag the race. And so uh, we were you know, since we're a tape delay, we just we just stopped our production. So I'm walking up pit road, there's no and, and, and I just hear these guys in the booth saying, oh, oh, my goodness. And I'm walking up pit road. I get about halfway up pit road, and I grab one of the ARCA officials that I know, and I said, hey, what's going on? How long is this going to take? And they said, oh, Doc, he's gone. I said, what? He said, the driver is dead up there. We think he's gone. So I took off running, and I run all the way to the end of pit road, and I see this car that's basically impaled in this huge concrete. You see the video. It's, it's horrific. And, and this big concrete tractor trailer tire or tire filled with concrete and that car go way up in the air they and had come back concrete and, inside and concrete inside it so if you Holy can't see the video crap. right now because you're driving or something yeah. basically a car loses it coming out of ford atlanta as he comes down the track 
uh, Marmer tries to avoid him. They kind of get together, and that sends him head on into two yeah. giant tractor trailer or tractor tires, like off yeah. of the biggest tractor I've ever seen. Yeah. And yeah. both of these things go flying up in the air. One of them goes like 30 feet yeah. in the air. Knowing that it's it filled with full concrete, concrete now is like and, and, unbelievable. And when I get to the car, and I won't go over, but the whole front of the car was pushed in. Yeah. His arms were, were broken and, and laid back up on his shoulders. Both arms were broken. His chest was impaled on the steering wheel. They had a paramedic that was climbing in the car. And he was, you know, un totally unresponsive and comatose. And so I, I was able to cut his uniform open, and I put a line right there in his heart, in his, in his superior vena cava, to be able to get fluid. So I knew when we jacked the steering wheel off, if we didn't have enough fluid, he would die right instantly. And so we, got, we did a lot of things there. We got him to the infill care center. There was a primary care doctor, an older general practitioner there, who said, you know, please do what you So I literally had my ESPN fire suit on, and I'd put my microphone in my pocket. And so... We're working with this guy. We're trying to resuscitate him in the in the care this little old old timey care center, which back then was underneath the media center at the old racetrack in Atlanta, and uh, and, and I'm I'm telling him, do we have this? Do we have that? No, we don't have this. No, we don't have that. And I, I was doing everything I could. We intubated him. I'm ventilating him to try to get the intracranial pressure down so he doesn't herniate and die. Uh, the helicopter is taking off from Atlanta, and they're telling the guy, the nurse on the helicopter with the helicopter, they're telling her, if he's not stable, we're not coming. Uh, we're kind of going to fly all that way and pick up somebody. We can't. We don't have any way to stabilize him. And I said, tell him he's stable. And there's no way he's stable. Right, right, right. He's just, yeah, yeah. we're seconds away from him. And so we're trying to, and I'm, and I, the whole time I'm talking to him, he's calling to us. I can see one of his pupils is already what we call blown, you know, dilated because of the, uh, the head injury. And I knew we, we didn't have a lot of time. So I'm bagging for all I'm worth. We found some medication I ordered, Manitol. To put in him and try to shrink the swelling. We didn't know how, what other internal, internal bleeding he had. I knew he had multiple fractures, but I'm talking to him the whole time, telling him what we're doing. Yeah. Don is still yeah. ones that we're going to do. Did you have a relationship with him at no, all? No, at that I, point? I just, not, but I know you, patients will tell you years later that they hear what you're saying. But I wanted him, I wanted him to know as I'm, as I'm right on top of his face, as I'm bagging and what's going on, blah, blah. And so uh, we, we get enough of a blood pressure and heart rate's fluctuating. Helicopter lands, they come in. And I'm, and I'm basically not, I'm shouting orders to the medical staff there and to them. And I said, look, you know, and the, one, the, the trauma nurse said, I'm not so sure. I said, look, look, this guy, this guy's a lot more stable than he looks knowing he wasn't. Right. And they said, they thought, and they looked at this ESPN fire suit I had on thinking, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I said, okay. and they said, and they said, and one of the guys, one of the officials said, he's a, he's a trauma doctor. Right. I said, okay, we got it. So they loaded him up and they made it to Atlanta. Well, all this whole time. There's nothing being taped of the telecast. Telecast is all stopped, and I'm still working on the racetrack. Well, I walk back out, and I take the. I, and I, what I didn't realize is that this microphone's in my pocket the whole time. Everybody in the TV truck is sitting dead quiet, listening to every word I'm saying, li listening to all the suction, all the thing I'm doing. I'm talking to him, you know, the the defibrillator, everything we're doing. I take the mic back out. It's okay, guys. I'm back when I get this this applause from right, the TV right. trucks. And holy cow! And, I said, well, that's what I do during the week. That's my yeah, other job. That was Monday through and, Friday. Uh, yeah. It's funny. He survived, and thankfully he survived. Yeah. Uh, we went ahead and faced a telecast. And, you know, all these rescue shows, like Rescue 911, they called and wanted to do a big show about it. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. All these guys from Hollywood called. We want to, we want to make a show about it. No, I, don't. I said, you, you make these guys from Atlanta South, the, the paramedics who were there, those guys should be the heroes. I said, no, no, they told us you were the guy. I said, no. So we never really did it. The, the funny thing was is that probably uh, – what we probably five years ago, six years ago, maybe a little longer than that. I got a phone call on Christmas Eve, um, and uh, and I answered the phone in my home, and the guy said, uh, Doctor Pun said, Yeah, he said, he said we've been working for a long time to get to get a number to call you, 
And basically, it was Don Marmer's son. He said, "We, our whole family, we're here for Christmas Eve. We've been wanting to call you and thank you for Dad. And uh, and he said, we can't thank you enough. And it was just that, that call meant more to me. You know, he said, we have our dad. He doesn't race anymore, but he's here and he's, you know, still. And uh, just the fact that, you know, we were very lucky that day. We got very, very fortunate. Very lucky. Yeah, I read a quote of his from, like, a years later because he never raced again, but he obviously survived. And I think he walked to the limp or something was his thing. And, uh, and he said, yeah, without Dr. Jerry Punch, I wouldn't be standing here right now. So <clears> well, like we got pretty, lucky that day. Yeah, pretty impressive uh, situation. What blows my mind is that you can immediately go on the scene, switch gears, and just go right into, you know, trauma doctor. But my other question is on the tool side. Like, the paramedics have yeah. a certain number of tools, but, like, where's the line coming from in the bag yeah, and all right. that? Is that the paramedics going back to the, the ambulance? Or <clears> paramedics, paramedics have IV fluids on, and okay. they, have, they had one subclavian. What subclavian is a big, large-bore needle that you that you put in under the clavicle into the superior uh and uh, and i had one i mean you had one shot i had one shot i mean it's like it's like one take you got i got one if i if i, and if I don't get it in the right that time and get it threaded in we're you know no you know we're not when things are things are over um but uh, and he's sitting up in the car but i also know from watching his distress that which you know that I that if we didn't do that and we take this steering wheel, we he's impaled on and pull it off, he's going to bleed to death in his chest, and we have no way to control his airway, no way to control his fluid resuscitation. So, and that's what makes you appreciate what these paramedics do on the roads. If, you know, as a trauma guy, those paramedics are the heroes. They, I mean, you know, and 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 what I was able to do with their assistance and their equipment, you know, we worked together, and we were, and, and the good Lord saved Don Marmer, not yeah. me, but we were very, 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 very fortunate. A lot of people, a lot of things had to happen exactly the right, way they had right. to happen for him to survive. Yeah. So we just ordered. So I've got a question for you. Being a doctor, <laughs> doing exactly the thing I said that, that you probably hate. Um, if you're going on a road trip for, say, like six weeks straight, is an all, di an all barbecue diet and like monster energy drink and chicken wings chicken for sandwiches. six weeks straight, how, how many years might you be taking off your life? Um, well, uh, I don't think, I think the only thing that's bad for you is a I think that might be the worst, but, uh, uh <laughs> we're going to have to bleep that. <laughs> I was, like, I was like, you know, as a major medic. sponsor of yeah, the series, uh, we, all we maybe shouldn't do that, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But you're not. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I think, I think going on, going on the road, um, and, uh, you know, you get, you, you you don't go on the road if you don't get the sample, the the, the, the cuisine of the exactly. area. Exactly. You got you're in Tennessee. You got to have barbecue. Absolutely. You maybe got to have a little shot of Tennessee moonshine. Oh, yeah. You know, there we go. There just, we just, are. Just, yeah, just yeah, a yeah. couple of jiggers of Monster Energy in that Tennessee moonshine, Ooh. and you'll be dancing all night long. That's how you're gonna make it, Indy, Sean. I'll drive, and you can just rock it over in the passenger yeah, seat. That's yeah, that's me. Yeah. It's just a lush. <laughs> all right. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, basically, I mean, we created a fake show just to be able to do that and go yeah. meet famous people. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's yeah, great. and then people that's started good. listening to it, so we're like, oh, all oh, right. I guess we're doing that's this. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, kind of along that same line, I couldn't find much information on the story, but it seemed to be a similar kind of thing. Bill Dennis crash Daytona? Yeah, yeah. It's a similar uh, thing where they thought, oh, he's out. That and then was when I, when, I first got, when I was first working in Daytona. Back when they ran the Permatex 300, the, the old late month, the, the sportsman race, right. before they had the Bush Series. Yeah. And uh, he had won it, uh, I don't know how many times in a row. He's a legend. And so I was down there helping Ned Jarrett, who was doing MRN. And uh, the night before, and so Ned had a radio show. One of the big things to do in Daytona when you were down there for two weeks was Ned, Ned hosted a radio show every night at the Club Macombo. 
the Club Macombo was sort of like the, the Copa Cabana down on the beach. You know, it was a place where the drivers all went and fans would pack in there and then it was a stage there. And every night, Ned would have legends. and I mean, have, I mean, they had the, the top stars that would come sit with Ned for an hour, hour and a half, and he would have like three guests a night. And I would help him get them. I sort of was helping produce the show and I helped get the guys there. And we had a little circular, you know, Caesars Palace kind of rolled and pleated booth there up front where the, nice. the celebs came in. this is like early in. 80s? You know, what's that? This is like early 80s? Oh, yeah, it was like, it was red. In Daytona Beach, red. best time. It was, the, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was the best plastic you could put on a, in a booth, best, best vinyl. <laughs> uh, and, and it was like, I mean, literally, and, uh, and, and when you wouldn't have a place, if you didn't have a cigarette, they handed you one. Nice. Like, everybody yeah, yeah. was smoking. Yeah, so right. You couldn't see five feet in front of you, and yeah. you couldn't breathe. Right. But uh, the show was, you know, uh, and so, but the night, so the night before, Ned always had a couple of big cup stars. He'd always have, you know, um, you know, Kale or, you know, Richard or somebody, Ian Pearson. Uh, uh, and then he would have a, a, a sportsman driver, too. Well, that night we had Bill Dennis. He came in, and so I knew Bill, and he came in and sits down, and, and he sat with me in the booth for a while because he would come on last. We had the big cup guys first, the, nice. big, the big Winston guys first, and yeah. had Bill. And sportsman like driver in today's room would be like a gentleman driver. Yeah, I mean, okay. he was just like, Bill Bill sat there with the booth, and we and we, we talked for a while. And and uh, anyway, so, so the next day, my day is split. Half in the morning, I'm working in the infield hospital, and the other half the afternoon, I'm doing PA upstairs. And and there was a wreck on the racetrack, and uh, I didn't know that it, who it was. And the car was coming through the trial and, and qualifying, apparently got out of shape and went down at the bottom of the track, came up and hit the wall head on, right at, right at the start finish line. <clears throat> and and the two guys, the two guys that were the chief paramedics there, were great guys, uh, wonderful guys. And they they come in the in the they come in the infill hospital there the the Hannah Medical Center and they're saying we got one for the tub room the tub room is a a dark area in the back where it was just a big a big concrete block center block tub where they used to put drivers in it had burns years ago back where they had fire before they had the the uh, 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 fuel cells and so but if they had a, a dead a, a driver that had been killed or lost a lot they'd take them back to the tub room sort of like a, an impromptu morgue he said we got one for the tub room and. I'm looking, and just, it was just me and another, you know, resident there. The only two doctors there. It was in the middle of the day, and I said, "Whoa, whoa wait a minute!" Take, I said, "I went over and looked, and the and the and the guy's skin color was was uh, was ash was black, you know, because he had no circulation. He'd gone from cyanotic blue to black." I said, "Put him back there in the recess room." So I go, I go back there, and I and I immediately, you know, they start cut, cut his fire suit off. I intubate him, trying to get airway going. I'm bagging him. I don't see any chest movement. I don't have to feel a pulse. We put a monitor on him. We got a, just got a faint pulse. And so I'm bagging him and trying to get some ventilation going. Uh, then they tell me it's Bill Dennis. I knew Bill Dennis. I sat with the man the night before for two and hours. And he couldn't recognize and him. It, because he looked so. Yeah. And he had a big slice across his neck. Uh, where, and and uh, which I later showed Mr. France when he, once we got him resuscitated and got him, got IVs in him and got him going, I brought Mr. France in. I called across the tell, tell nurse, call, call Mr. France, call the street to have him come in. I want him to see this. So he came in there, and he had a like someone had taken a razor blade and slit his throat. Ugh. And what it was, he had a, he had one of these uh, houndstooth gold chains on. Oh and, no! And, and way. you know, back then drivers wore all kinds of jewelry. Yeah. And when he hit the, when he spun hit the wall, that chain just cut his throat. Oh. And so I said, "You take this chain." To, he said, "I'm taking this to the drivers' meeting tomorrow, and yeah. I'm going to show every driver from now on you're not wearing a metal ring, you wear a rubber ring, and you don't wear any jewelry." Because you see what happened? This guy, that guy's got it cut this guy's throat. Fortunately, he missed his carotid. Didn't quite yeah. get deep enough. 
and I was able to pack some things, and he ended up doing okay. We got we got very lucky that day. Ooh. But he was cyanotic long enough getting in there. Yeah. They thought he was dead. Sure. Dead, and and uh, to my knowledge, Bill's still around today. Yeah. And wow, wow. So, got so Lewis Hamilton, let that be a lesson to you. Don't Is wear the chains. No, but he's always got he's bling always got on. It on yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't mess so. up and leave it on. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's incredible. So it, along your travels, because uh, you're obviously in the scene quite a lot, we haven't really had any of these stories yet, and I'd love to get into more of them, but, like, any Tim Richmond run-ins? Do you ever spend any time around him? Tim and I were friends. Yeah. Tim and I were friends. I, I was around Tim quite a bit. Um, if you ever watch the Richmond, the 30 for 30 on Tim, yeah, Richmond, I loved it's it. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I was a, I was a, a part of that. Yeah, and yep. um, you'll, you'll sort of see my role in there. But long story made short, Rick Hendrick and I were friends, and Rick called me and said, "I'm going to hire this young driver. I need your help to sort of get him tuned up." And he's he's sort of a wild man. Yeah. lives on the West Coast. Will you help me? And so he, and Rick is in Charlotte. I'm actually working the ER in Daytona, and. Uh, and I said, and, and the nurses came to me, and we're really busy. I said, there's a man, there's, there's a guy named Rick Hendrick on the phone. He said, friend said, yeah, I'll take it. Hang on. So I run back to the nurse's station, take the phone call. He tells me, say, Doc, I know you're busy. I'm sorry to bother you, but I got this young driver I'm going to hire. You, you probably heard of him. You know, he's, he, he run, ran the Indy and was the rookie of the year, blah, blah, blah. Got a tremendous amount of talent, but he's, a, he's just a kid. He's a wild, wild. He's just a wild horse. And so we got to get him tuned up. I need you to do sort of a physical on him and try to help me get tune him up I said all right he said well I said just have him call me here and I said he said have him call yes have him call the ER I told the nurse you might be getting a phone call and it's like midnight and I'm working all night it's like maybe no it's like probably more like like uh about nine o'clock which is six o'clock LA time phone rings and it's, it's, they said there's a somebody on the phone that says his name's Tim he's supposed to be calling you I can't hear a lot there's a lot of noise and music in the background so I go to the phone. He basically At said, hey, yeah. Yeah. Tim said, Rick told me to give you a call. Man, I said, hey, I said, I said, what's that? What's the party going on there? He said, I'm at I'm at, I'm with Ackroyd and Belushi. We're at, we're at, we're at Dan Ackroyd's <laughs> place here on Malibu. They're having a big party. We're out here just partying down, man. We're having fun. What's he said, Rick told me to call you and get a hold of you. I said, man, you don't you don't need to call me. You don't you're not serious about I said, Rick's giving you a chance to, to drive maybe the best opportunity you're ever going to ever going to have in your career. And you're out here partying? You don't want this, man. You don't want this bad enough. No, 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 I do want it. I realize it's a big opportunity. He said, hang on. So what do I got to do? And I simply said this. I said, if you want my help, you need to be in this emergency room before I leave at noon tomorrow. And I, he said, man, I'm in L.A. I said, well, I'm in Daytona. I said, I'm just telling you that's, that's how it works. I said, I'll help you, but you got to be here. He said, all right, man, where are you? And I told him. <clears throat> I mean, literally, he, from, apparently what he did is he had them take him to LAX. He red-eyed to Atlanta, to Daytona Beach, and walked in our emergency room by 10.30 in the morning. No sleep, Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> flip-flops, and a pair of in a pair of just like shorts on. Yeah. Like, like, they're like swim trunks. Yeah. And he had and he had no had no luggage. And uh, and he walked in and he looked. I said, man, you look awful. He said, well, I feel awful. <laughs> and I said, and I said, well, at least my diagnosis is correct. <laughs> yeah, right. And so we went back in the, in a, and I and I when I had the other ER doc came in, I took him in the back and did an exam and called Rick and I said, this kid, this kid, he really does want it. I said, but he just doesn't know what to do. And so we ended up sending him to the Cooper Clinic in Houston to try to get him all tuned up and put him into a nutrition program and the work exercise program and basically total body shock for him. But uh, 
But when he walked in that day, I'll never forget, he walked to the ER that day. One of the nurses, who was a big Open Wheel fan, knew who he was. And so she, she said, can I get a picture? So she had her camera there uh, in the back of her car, right, an old Polaroid camera. So she went out and took a picture. He got up beside me. And I'm, I'm, I look at my back. I've been up all night working in the yard. I got a white coat and I'm all put my arm around each other. He's got his Hawaiian shirt on. She took a picture of us. And I kept that picture for a long time. And then probably 15 years ago, Sports Illustrated wanted to do a story on Tim Richmond. And they came and visited me. And I showed them the picture. Of, of Tim that told him a story, showed him a picture of him standing with me with the with the Hawaiian shirt and the flip flops, and they said, "Well, can we borrow that to put it in a magazine?" Well, they lost it, oh. so I don't I don't know. I have no idea where it is, but uh, hmm. uh, anyway, that's painful. Yeah, all right, yeah. Maybe one of our listeners will find it. <laughs> They're powerful. <laughs> they can do a lot of things. During the whole career of Tim Richard, I mean, did you obviously you're you're a doctor who's working at a hospital, so you see all kinds of cases and HIV positive uh, patients and things like that. Were there any signs to you what was going on? Did you have any clue or insight as to what was going on? No, he, I, I didn't really know. Back then, there was not much information out there. And, and uh, they, uh, and I, and uh, not until, I didn't, he never really told me until, until well into his, he was starting to get sick. And then when he told me, he was already out of the car. And he was in the hospital, um, and uh, and his last few weeks were painful because I'd call him. I'd call him every week, yeah, and talk to him. The nurse would talk, put the phone up there. I'd call his mom and dad. They yeah. were living in a in a condo in West Palm, right? Um, and it was. Just, but the funny thing was, is after every race on Sunday night, um, wherever I was, cup race, he would watch the cup race, yeah, and uh, and I would go back to. Um, uh, on the way, I go to the airport and I go to a payphone. I call him. Yeah. And we didn't have cell phones back yeah. then that were work that worked very well. And he'd talk for a few minutes. And we had a bad wreck at Pocono one time. And Lake Speed was in a wreck there. And I remember he could, he was so lethargic from Tim was so lethargic from medication uh, for the pain that but all he could say was How's Lake? How's yeah. is he okay? He was so worried about his friends. That's sure. uh, And I remember we were going to Pocono <clears throat> one year. Uh, when he was really sick, and his mom had his mom had told me, she said, the nurses see him now, and uh, and see what he looks like, and they don't have any idea that a year and a half, two years ago, he was one of the most handsome young yeah, eligible like bachelors, after, cover of yeah. magazines. They have no idea what he looked yeah. like, and that he was a great race car driver. Is there any way you guys could do something? And I said, yeah. I said I'll call our producer, and I called our ESPN producer. I said, look, I said he's. He's really struggling in the hospital. I never told anybody what was going on, but I said, I said, and they, and I said, that, and I, he only had vision out of one eye, I think, at the time because he caused the illness. And so, but, the, and I said, he said, we do a pure later replay at the beginning of every telecast, like about a 30 or 40 laps in. I said, we could replay Tim's big win here where he, he wrecked the car early, bent the frame, came back and outran Earnhardt and Ricky Rudd by inches and won at Pocono. He's celebrating in victory lane. There's, there's, there's a beauty queens all over him. I said, yeah. let's do that. That'd be great. I said, that would mean more to me. He said, Doc, we'll do it. And so I called his mom. I said, about 30 laps into the race, we're going to run this pure replay. So they had it all set up. They brought a big table in, put it across the bed, put a bigger TV on the table, had all the nurses in at the care center of the hospital, and they were watching that. And they said Tim was crying when he saw that we ran that replay. The nurses said, oh, my gosh, look at this kid. Look at this yeah. guy. Yeah. But uh, And then it was uh, – not long after that that he was gone. It was uh, sure. really, really sad. Sure. 
you know, he he wanted to came to Daytona. You know, his last chance was to come to Daytona and run the run the, the Bush Clash, and and he he had a ride, and he was deserving because he'd won a pole, uh, but there was a suspicion from NASCAR that he was on drugs or he was whatever, and he had his lawyer down there with him at the Hilton in Daytona Beach where he was saying. He's in the garage area, and I was sort of the go-between between the Francis and him and the lawyer. <laughs> I'm trying to convince him, let the boy race. He's 20 laps. Yeah. But they were afraid he was going to do something stupid, like turn it to the wall and spiral into the stands. Yeah. And, you know. Liability. And there was some questions that maybe he had some kind of vague illness, you know, that they were worried about. Uh, and it, I, I even I even went to Dale Earnhardt. I went to Dale Earnhardt, and I said, hey, I went to the garage area. I said, Dale, man, they're not going to let Tim Richmond race. All he wants to do is run the Bush Clash. And he said, How's he doing, Dale? I said, not good. I said, that's all I can say. I said, he's going to run the Bush Clash and then be gone. I, he said, the boy ought to be able to race. I said, he said, Doc, he's probably the only guy in this garage here that can run wheel to wheel with me. He said, he, he, he can do it. I said, that boy's got talent. I said, how about helping me out with this one? Dale said, all right, I'll get out and I'll, I'll talk to Billy, Mr. France. And, but Billy said, no, nope, we can't do it. Can't take that chance for our fans and say he, that he was going to go out in a blaze of glory, thinking that he might, he might be sick. They didn't really know what it was. They had suspicions. And so... But he kept his bag packed, and, uh, and, and, and he had his uniform and his helmet all in his bag on the counter in the kitchen in West Palm. And every day when he'd go in to be, be checked at the hospital, and then when eventually when he was hospitalized, his mom, he'd ask his mom, my bag still packed? He always believed that there was going to be one day he was going to go back and take, pick up that bag and go to the racetrack. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's, and it, it never happened. Right. Never happened. Well, uh... I don't know how to transition from there, but uh, the but here's here's something we can go with. Uh, uh, Days of Thunder was loosely based on the story of Tim Richmond, um, and I think I sent you a text about this. But we do have a pass along question that we have from the previous guest to the next, and so on. So last week in, that was last week. It feels yeah. like a month ago, but yeah. last week we were with Dario yeah. and Frank Heedy. Uh, Frank Heedy, in case yeah. you didn't know, yeah. some <laughs> Italian guy. Uh, and what was his question? Yeah, his, his pass-along question for you, Dr. Jerry, was uh, what was it like working on Days of Thunder? Wow, uh, great question. Um, it, was a, it was a blast. <clears throat> you know, I, I, um, I went to – the funny had it, the thing all started, I went to, to do Watkins Glen, and we're, we're going to the TV compound early on race morning, and it's still dark, and we're there, and uh, – my producer says, I need you to come meet with me and some of our bosses in this, in this office trailer. I go over there, and they said, we've got some, got some guests that are going to follow you around today, and they're going to be your assistants. I look over, and there's a bearded guy there sitting there with, with, a, with a baseball cap on, another kid sitting there with torn jeans and a baseball cap on. He said, this guy's going to be carrying your batteries. This guy's going to be so-and-so, and they're just going to be watching what you do. I, I never phased me at the time. That's all he said. I look over, I said, all right. And then they always hire local people that are sure. runners and stuff. One carries a backpack with batteries, yep. and one yep. carries bottles of water. You and, see it in the Imps and, and, yeah, and so, yeah. and then it realized me that 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 uh, that it was uh, uh, and it was the writer and Tom Cruise. That's awesome. And 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 the writer had the writer Robert Town had yep. a had a had a uh, a hat on with a microphone clip to it and a wire to a tape recorder. Oh, he no wanted kidding. to hear every interview I did and what, how these guys, how I asked the questions, yeah. how they answered them. And then Tom was just going to be there watching everything that went on. Yeah. So they were incognito. Nobody else knew. My, my camera guy. So, but Tom Cruise was the guy with, like, the boom pole and the transmitter. The, and so about we're about, we're about, awesome. we're about halfway through the race. 
and and Tom pulled his hat off and his sunglasses off. He had torn jeans yeah. on, unshaved. No way you wouldn't know. You know, right? just just yeah. a just a baseball cap on. And he pulled his hat off because it was drip, it was hot down there. And the other handheld camera on ESPN looked over and said, "That's Tom Cruise." And went over, did one of these numbers because right right after uh, right after uh, 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 Top Gun yeah. had come out. So he whips the camera over. Well, immediately goes on to the jumbotron. Tom Cruise. Oh, uh, and he's well, just then he had to leave. That to leave. But from yeah, that yeah, point yeah. on, that point on, I mean, he couldn't have been. I mean, he was. He asked great questions. Yes. I was on the phone every day to Robert Town. Uh, uh, he would call me from his office. His office is there about you know casting and and you know who you're going to cast in the female lead. And yeah. He says to me because they thought about Kim Basinger. You know, yeah. Who at the time a, was a and huge. I, and I so, said, right. and I said, we well, you know Kim. I said Kim is so attractive. And so voluptuous. I said, if you're looking for a female neurosurgical resident, you got to have someone who never gets out in the sun. They got white pasty skin, yeah. stringy hair. Should have an accent. You got someone, someone yeah. that really comes across as an intellectual. Nothing against Kim, but right. comes across as an intellectual. So he calls, he calls me, he calls me back, and he says, Hey, there's this, uh, there's this, there's this actress named Nicole Kidman, who went to UCLA in pre-med, a pre-med major at UCLA, and he says she's from Australia, whatever, has a great accent, and he said she was in this movie. And I think it's called The Deep or something. He said, said go, go watch the movie, and I did. So uh, nice. it, I called him back. I said, she'd be perfect. I think she'd be, she'd be great. Anyway, that was a blast. W- working, w- working around Tom couldn't have been nicer. Nicole, uh, Robert Duvall I love. Oh, uh, yeah. Randy Absolutely. Quaid is Randy Quaid. He's, you know, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's not, not all, all connected. Uh, <laughs> Even then. You know, but, but I mean, but, but Robert Duvall, you don't find a better person, yeah. Robert Duvall. And, 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 um, well, I mean, even, I mean, by this point, so this, it was, Filmed in, it came out in 90, I believe, filmed in 89, yeah. roughly. Um, yeah. But Duval at this point, I mean, he'd already been through all the Godfather movies and whatnot. I oh, mean, yeah. Was that intimidating for even somebody like you? Uh, to be it, around a big star like that? I mean, oh, oh, it was, he he, he, he was so unassuming. Yeah. And all, all those guys were, they were, I came to Daytona and I played myself. We probably shot 10 or 11 scenes. I think only like three or four of them actually made the movie. Most of them sure. made, didn't make the cut. But they probably have enough, enough footage from that what they filmed for two or three more movies. Really? They could actually go back and, and re-edit it and make another movie yeah. out of what they shot because they shot all the racing footage and stuff. But Tom was great. Nicole was great. Uh, Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson. Jerry Bru- Those guys couldn't have been nicer. Bruckheimer cool. especially. You know, what a brilliant guy. Uh, you know, they, they, they wanted to, you know, I was sort of a helping. Like uh, a consultant on with, it. With, with, with writing. And we wanted to do certain things to make it more Hollywood. And the director, who was a phenomenal director, um, who had done, I think, Top Gun and other, you know, he's just, you know, so uh, they wanted to make the finish where Tom, Tom w- would get, would get spun on the last lap at Daytona, bounce it off the wall backwards, put it in reverse, and run down the leaders <laughs> in and one I, lap and backwards in one and, lap. And, and, I said, reverse, and, I, yeah. and I said, no, no, no. You, I said, you want to make this really hokey? That's how you. I said, yeah. that's. We've already seen some hokey, hokey racing movies. I said, need to make this thing somewhat legitimate. Right. And uh, so they they were great. They were, they were couldn't have been nicer. Um, it was a lot of fun to do that. A lot of fun to do it. I mean, that was a great experience for me. Uh, I had a tremendous respect for. And they would call me in the ER and say, "We well, can you leave the emergency room? We need to, we will send a plane. We need to fly you to Darlington to shoot this scene tomorrow." And I'd get there at midnight, and they'd say, "Well, our crew call." For you guys, it's at 4:45 in the morning. We we'll have a car at 4:45 at the hotel. Well, I'm up. Shower. I got like three hours sleep. Right. I get up. I'm showered, shaved, ready to go. Normal I day. I go down in the limo. I go yeah. downstairs at the hotel in front of the Holiday Inn there in Darlington, and uh, and there in Florence, rather in the big city of Florence. And uh, 
Here's Nicole sitting in, sitting in one corner. She's got a bathrobe on and no makeup and no hair. To, and here's Tom over there sleeping in a robe. Right. I didn't realize they take you there and they do everything. They right. shave yeah. you. Right. They do the whole uh, thing. You, all you got to do is shower. They shave <laughs> yeah. you. They put makeup on here. Right. Yeah, they want to rock and roll. Right. But, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, it was, it was funny. So are you um, saying you're more professional than Tom Cruise? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. I'm I just, I just said it was, it was a blast. <laughs> yeah. These guys were and, – and they were just – and, like, they had one scene where they, they, they leased an old hospital that was closing down to shoot that scene with him and the scanner, the yeah. head scan. Yeah, yeah, And they said, well, could you be down here? And I, I rushed down from where I was in the ER and went in there, and there's Duvall and, and Nicole sitting there, and the writers are saying, what, what is she supposed to have? And Tom was actually laying in the scanner, under the scanner, they were getting ready to film it, smoking a cigar. I said, no, 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 you want to make this real? Get rid of the cigar. Yeah. you got to strap him down. Yeah. You know, he can't move. I said, you got to make this really, really a, an eerie, frightening experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, cause he, and then, then that's where the lines came from. I'm not accustomed to being alone, blah, blah, blah. You know, I always have someone in my ear. So that's all done on the spot. When exactly. They all yeah, we're doing all that on the spot. Oh, and wow. And Nicole says to me, you know, what, what I asked him, and, and I said, what you want to do? I said, you want to take this helmet, and you want to ask you want you want to ask the crew chief what the helmet looked like. Was it you know what 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 you know where did he hit? Was it is it, is scratch, it scratch yeah. front and back? Now we didn't know specifically, and and then and he may not know, but he can tell you what he thinks happened. Because the mechanism of injury back then, when we didn't have sophisticated scans, yeah. was important to know. Absolutely. And so stuff like that. I'm standing up like five feet from where they're shooting, but giving no giving feet in these lines. I can never watch it again now. All I'm going to think about is you sitting there going, no. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's just like, you know, like, I'm, like I, they, had a, they had a scene where in Daytona and they had a scene in Victory Lane where I'm going to interview Tom Cruise. And so yeah. I go over to interview. Special tires. I go over to interview him and they're in Victory Lane and, and, uh, and I, I lean down and ask him a question and I'm, and I'm sort of, I'm, you can see, I, I have the lines that, you know, I didn't write all the lines with, with, with him, but uh, I can see I'm asking the question and, and we're in the middle of shooting a scene and people are everywhere. Tom was at me. He said, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute." I said, "What's that face about?" I said, "I said, is there a problem?" And I said, first of all, I would never ask a driver this question." I said, "This doesn't make any sense." He said, "Well, wait, let's just let's just change it now." I said, you, "You're you're working with Robert. What, what would you need to make it real?" Well, I had I had been working all week, so I hadn't had a chance to be on the phone with Robert. So they have a person there at, at script rewrite. I said, "This is what I would ask." So they're saying, "Okay, hang on." So Tom gets out, tells rewrite, "Come here, write down what I would ask." Then they have to get on the phone. Right. To, and, and people don't understand that there's a rewriting kind of specialist there. It's there's not, a guy it's there, not Robert, and, and there's yeah. a legal person there. They have to get on the phone to Robert. Oh, for rights and clearances in, 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 and uh, in, yeah. at, at Paramount. Yeah. Then they have to get on the phone to legal in New York right. and to clarify that. Well, we, we're sitting there. All that happens in about eight minutes. Right. And it comes back to New York and to clarify that we're, we're certified to do it. So that's when I ask a different question about, you know, and, and when he gets out of the car. You, you know. Okay. Make the tire stick like that. So do you think Robert was sort of back there, just like, oh, not this asshole again? Like, was there ever that moment, or was it he was just good with it? He was great. That's he was awesome. Been, that he wanted amazing. to be real. I think he really. Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. So there's a. I think our favorite scene in Days of Thunder is when he's trying to make his way to the front, and he decides to put his foot all the way down on the gas, <laughs> which is apparently the key to passing. Which I don't know if or you knew shifting. that in your yeah, or, or just shifting into. Yeah. Into third gear for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was that your doing? Uh, no. no was, <laughs> they had some drivers who were consultants too. Then. Fair enough. Fair enough. No problem at all. So obviously, you know, Dale Earnhardt Sr. is, you know, uber legend, uber hero, like the you know, biggest of all names. And one of the things I heard was that when Rusty Wallace had his big crash at Bristol on the front straight, 
I think it was practice or qualifying or something. It was practice, yeah. And he barrel rolls the thing a bunch, and it caves the roof in. Well, the first thing I read was that y you ran right to the scene, and he—I guess he was his head was collapsed over or something, so he wasn't—he couldn't breathe. Now, how does that? Uh, just from a side story, how does that happen without break? Like, could that mean like right now I could squish my neck down the right way, or like when when I read that I didn't understand because you had to hold his head up to get air. <clears throat> well, he barrel rolls, uh -huh. and the car comes to rest. <clears throat> with the wheels down, but he's, he's, he's cocked up on the pit wall. He's okay. like 10 feet from where I'm standing interviewing a driver, in, taping an interview. <clears throat> Run over there, and the roof of the car has collapsed down from barrel rolling, so it's pushed him down in the seat. Yeah. And I look in the car, and I can't get the window net down. It's all buckled down, and the opening of the window net's down about six inches, so the roof's collapsed. But I can see his, he's, he's pushed forward, the seat's pushed forward, and Sometimes you can just, just, and I can't, and I blood coming out of both sides of his mouth. So I don't know if he's bleeding internally, but I can see he's not, his chest is not moving. He's not breathing. There's no air going. So in order to be able to get, I don't know if he's got something blocking his airway, if he's bleeding, what it is. But I got to get to him to get the air. So I'm able to get my fingers through the net enough to grab. He had an open face helmet, thankfully. And I can just grab the bottom of his chin and do a, what's called a jaw thrust to pull his jaw forward enough to clear the tongue to try to get an airway. And when I just got the tip of my fingers on it, I could see his, his, his chest wall move a couple inches. I said, I must be able to get it clear enough. Then I'm yelling, well, Earnhardt was the only other car on the racetrack. And so he he slides to a stop, and he's over there, and he sees the car all smoking, and he can't get He tries to climb in the right side, and he, it's not open far enough for him to get in. He said, man, what we got to do, what I got to do? I said, I got to get this roof off. I got to get to him. I said, I got to get to him. So there, literally, NASCAR runs out there. Bristol only had, they had a couple of paramedics. They didn't have a doctor there at the time. So I'm the only, I happen to be the only guy there, and I wasn't there to be the, anyway. <laughs> so they, Dick Beatty, who was NASCAR director of, director of competition, took his Winston hat off, is holding it in front of my face while I got my finger stuck through what's left of this window net in this bent car holding his chin, and they're sawing with a saw. They're the roof, and they're, I mean, sparks are going they're everywhere. Blocking your face they're blocking your face from getting burned wow. there while I'm holding his neck. Yeah. And they saw it where I could get to him and get it and get an airway and put him on a backboard, and we were lucky there. We got very lucky. So yeah. so the Earnhardt comes running in, and he's like, what do we got to do? He wants to help Rusty like crazy. Yeah. And now I'll let you finish the one-liner that I've heard. Well, once we realized he was okay. Yeah. And then, you know, Earnhardt came to me and said that night, because Rusty's in the hospital, and he called back. You know, he's in the hospital. He, he's watching the race. It's, a, it's the bush race that night. Yeah. yeah. And, and he calls back to the, the speedway. They patch him through to the TV truck. He says, and he's, it's Rusty called in the hospital. He says, he tell Doc, I'm going to be all right, thanks to him. And he looks, and Doc looks terrible. And I had soot <laughs> all over my face, paint flecks in my hair. I couldn't go back to the hotel. I had to do the race. Right. And so I looked like I looked like I'd been in a war zone, <laughs> which, you know, thanks to Rusty, I had. But uh, anyway, before that race started that night, Dale said, Dale said, well, I guess the word is up and down pit road, you save Rusty Wallace's life. Why would you do that? <laughs> you know? And I said, I don't know. I said, What's incredible to me is that he raced the next night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He raced that, he that he race did. that he yeah. flipped down the front straightaway and, the, like, you had to hold his head up. He, like, got in the car and raced the next day. You know what I mean? Like, when you think about the co the commitment yeah, level that Yeah, thing. and just being allowed to do it. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible to me.
Well, that's one of the consistent things I'm noticing with you is that a lot of your stories are about how to get that guy back out on track, you know, whether it's numbing down his ribs just to make sure he gets through the next race. And, and with protocols the way they are now, you know, with head injuries and whatnot that people can't get in the car. Um, obviously, these are done in the, in the driver's interest of safety, but... Uh, is there a fondness of the glory days at all when, you know, you're kind of thinking about, oh, but this guy could have been okay if this was 20 I, years I, ago? Those guys were amazing. When I look at what they did with no power steering, no no cool suits, those cars were like Buck and Broncos trying to drive those things. Um, it's just amazing that they were able to, you know, and and it's just a, diff a different era now. I mean, different different era now when, you know, those, when, it, when it was starting to change, when they started having power steering and some of the young guys would come along, I'll never forget Kale, Harry Gant was as tough as they came. Harry would work on the farm all week and, and you know, but he, he would, you know, he could do sheetrock. He would hold about four panels of sheetrock onto the ceiling with his head and neck while he would hammer it with his arms. Yeah. That's why his neck was like, like you know, he looked like, you know, Joe Fra smoking Joe Frazier, you know, he's all <laughs> neck. Right. But Harry would get out of the car at Bristol and walk into the driver's lounge. Here's all these young guys laying on the floor and can't even breathe after the race. Right. And here he'd be stepping over and said, high school boys. <laughs> you know, just, they just, they, just, they, they weren't yeah. physically fit because they didn't work. Yeah. Right. They, they lived in air conditioning. They lived, you know, yeah. they had a, yeah, yeah. you know, Harry worked on the farm every day. Well, actually, of that sort of like Harry Gant era guy, um, who's the guy, now that you've sort of sat with us for an hour or two, <laughs> who is the, <laughs> two hours too many for you. Um, who is the guy that we should talk to that we would have never guessed we should talk to, like a like a Harry Gant style guy? Harry would be a good one to talk to. I tell you who has who, who has great stories from growing up would be someone like Andy Petrie. Yeah, we were just Andy about was that. a crew chief. Yeah, and Andy was when when I was in when I was getting out of was I still in medical school, and Ned decided he wanted to start a race team. Um, for Dale, yeah, he started a team called DAJ Racing, and DAJ stood for Dale, Andy, and Jimmy. Jimmy's right. a, Jimmy Newsom's a tire dealer and small. They were they were high school buddies, right? And Dale was a really good high school quarterback and a and pretty much a scratch golfer. Turned down a golf scholarship to South Carolina. Andy was, uh, uh, Andy was, was uh, he was told he'd be given extra credit if he drove the bus to the bad school, if he would agree to drive the school bus to the bad section of nice. town. Okay. So he drove the school bus. He probably had the only Good school job. bus that had spoilers on it. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, and then, and then, and then Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy was a tire dealer. But they, that was a race team. Well, Ned and I, Ned called me and said, you want to be a part of this race team? I didn't. I said, Ned, I'm in med school. I got no money. I have less than no money. <laughs> he said, but you're a medical doctor. You're about to be, and you can borrow money if you want to be a part. So I borrowed a little bit. So I, I owned. So, so the, it was me and Ned and Dale on the race team. And so then, then we went from there to the Bush Series. Well, next thing I know, I'm sitting in the booth at ESPN. I'm calling the race. Nobody knows that Ned and I own that car. I'm calling, here comes a car. I'm thinking, Ned, Ned, this ain't right. We're calling the race, and we own that car leading. <laughs> you know? And I said, you can get away with it. You're a dad, not me. I, so I ended up selling my part to another guy. But, yeah, but Andy Petrie was the crew chief on that car. And, and great stories. Of, and I'm, when I was in med school, Still in med school, and I remember I would gonna go work Hickory Speedway on Saturday night. I drive I drive up on Friday night. They'd call me and say, "Hey, we're trying to get the car together," and they literally used a, a part of a garage. It was in the back of a florist shop in downtown Newton, and it was one stall wide enough to put the race car in. 
So I'm down there. I'd go over there with Dale and Andy and help work on the car. Well, one night we're trying to get the engine back in the car. So Dale's driving a pickup truck, and me and Andy are sitting in the back of the pickup truck holding the engine in place while running across the middle of town uh, while we're trying to go put it back in the race car. Right. You know, just, those are the great stories. You obviously, the victory lane interview is something you've done more than your, your share of. Is there a specific victory lane that's kind of the most precious one to you? Being around Dale Earnhardt when he won the Daytona 500. Yeah. We weren't doing the telecast. It was a CBS. Right. But I was doing radio. Right. The PA got, got to be there. Um, probably Alan Kowicki. Yeah. In 1992 when Alan Kowicki went from nothing, literally came on the scene, and some of us MRN guys were taking him out to eat at night because he didn't have the money to go eat. Yeah. And his, he would give what little money he had to his, to his crew guys to go eat. And then he wins a championship, the ultimate underdog, yeah. driving the Underbird. Yep. Um, and we're in Atlanta, and and there's no live scoring, so they're telling us from the TV truck, he's got to lead this many more laps, or else Bill Elliott will lead the most laps to get the points. So we're trying to tell his crew chief that that whole day, Davey Allison yeah. could have won the championship, ends up getting wrecked, in an wrecked with Ernie Irvin, and who ends up taking Davey's ride when Davey loses his yeah. life. Uh, but that victory lane where we're feeding the PA, uh, we're feeding ESPN Live, and the producer says, just say something profound. And, and here's Alan getting ready to get out of the car. So I basically take over the telecast, and I've got to interview Alan Kowicki, who's so emotional. And then he says, okay, and the producer says in my ear, okay, now turn to your right and introduce for the last time, coming out of the garage area for his final lap, the King Richard Petty. Right. So that was Richard's final. Richard yep. come, comes out with a torn car, makes a lap. We lay out and let all the crowd and go. Then I walk down pit road as he comes out up pit road with a damaged car, and he gets out, and you can see tears going on his face, tears yeah. rolling down my face. So from Alan Kowicki to Richard Petty's final race, that was also Jeff Gordon's first ever right, race. Right, right. So you talk about a, a day that I'll never forget. Yeah. That was, you know, 1992. And obviously at the time you would have had no clue what that really would have meant as far as no. Alan's story was concerned. Not to keep sort of the somber tone, but stories like Earnhardt or, or Kenny Irwin or Adam Petty, you yeah. know, those are incidents that – you know, right from the moment of impact, it was a grave situation. For somebody like you, are you able to look at a situation like that on site and just know that that's kind of a lost cause? Or is there no such thing as a lost cause? You know, some of the more horrific wrecks I've seen, yeah. drivers have walked away with unscratched. Right. And then when I travel and do corporate events, speaking events, and I show videos of some of the horrific wrecks, and I show the guy had a one-inch scratch on the back of his hand, yeah. and I see wrecks that look like nothing, Right. Looked like a glancing blow, and and there's and there's, it's fatality. Yeah. You just don't know. Right. You just don't know. Right. You know it's Switching gears. So the pass along question we had the Dario asked about the yeah. Days of Thunder documentary film you were a part of, as I like to refer to it. Uh, so tomorrow we have in sushi for lunch with Scott Dixon, who you are familiar with. If you had a single question you could ask Scott Dixon. Anything at all, what would it be? Now, I'll preface it this way. This past May, there was a lot of a lot of warranted exposure when Fernando Alonso came to Indianapolis or on the Indy 500. And Fernando couldn't have been couldn't have been more more open, more appreciative, more accommodating of, of the welcome he got from the drivers, and so appreciated by the fans. And I think he impressed a lot of people how quickly he got up to speed in in the Andretti Autosport car. Led the Indy 500. If he doesn't have a, a, an engine failure, he had a ch he had a chance to win the race. Yeah. Uh, 
a lot of the, you know, so it impressed, so they, it automatically, a lot of people say, well, these Formula One guys are, are every bit as talented as we, we thought they were. They can, they can jump in a car and come here and be successful. But then a lot of the IndyCar guys, uh, the Graham Rahals of the world, others said, you know what? I bet if we sent one guy over there and put him in equal equipment, mm -hmm. we could impress them. And the guy we would send would be Scott Dixon. Scott Dixon is so underappreciated for his cubic talent and what he can do. Right. And if we were to send him to Formula One or to NASCAR and said, give him some time to practice and put, and put him in a good car, and he will, he will, he, he will show you that he can run with anybody. Uh, and and so there are a lot of drivers in the garage area who said that. So my question to Scott Dixon would be this: If you could pick one place to go, one car to drive for one race, and you'll go there and they'll give you a month of practice and get comfortable, what would it be? Would you go? Where, you know, would you? What? Where in Formula One would you go? Or where in NASCAR would you go? And which car would you drive? Now you got to remember, he drives. You know, I know he's got he's got Honda ties now, but. You know, aside from that, yeah. where would you go and what race would you run? Because i got to believe Scott Dixon would go there and be as competitive as anybody in the field. That's how good he is. So we've talked a lot about stock car racing. Yeah. As a young guy from the south, moving into NASCAR is a natural thing. You're obviously getting to hang with the, the big drivers in that. You're hanging out with Ned Jarrett when you're, you know, starting out as a commentary and uh, track helping guy. What's it like going to the Brickyard the first time to call the month of May? I never thought that I would ever see or feel or experience anything that could compare to the Daytona 500. Right. When you grew up in the stock, the Southern boy, sitting on the backyard under the shade trees with a, with a watermelon cut open on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon after church, listen to the good old stock car boys. But to go to Indy uh, for the Indy 500 and, and understand the history and, and, and watch these guys come by at 240 miles an hour, inches off the ground, um, and turn left, knowing that they're 15 feet from a concrete wall and they're hoping and praying this car's going to stick. If it doesn't, they're not, they're not injured. They're vaporized. Yeah. There's nothing left. Yeah. Uh, the courage it takes, the respect for those guys, and then racing inches apart, but just being in Indianapolis. I get every. I did the race. This last year was my 26th Indy 500 to do, <laughs> and every time I'd go in that in, into the tunnel, I'd get chills, thinking about the great memories of the people that have been there and the thing, the great things and the horrible things I've seen. But the respect. And then I, when the stock car guy started coming up there, they come up there intermittently, and the Indy car people would say, "We'll take you down here, take a couple of these stock car veterans yeah. down to turn one. We want to watch. You want to watch Indy car practice." And watch these guys come into one and turn left at 235. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it is a special place. I tell people the same thing my colleague Brett Musburger tells people, and that's if you have a bucket list, I don't care if, if you're – you don't have to be a race fan. You don't even have to be a sports fan. You owe it to yourself to go to the Indianapolis 500. It is an experience like none, none other. Yeah. You know, you need to go to Bristol on a Saturday <laughs> night in August. Um and be a part of Thunder Valley when they come off the turn and take the green flag and they'll flash cubes everywhere and you're surrounded with a tidal wave of people. Yeah. Go to Indianapolis where 300 plus thousand people are in one spot in one day. Uh, it's like nothing else. I, I mean, I can tell you, I stood there for a number of years. I was the 
the, the, the individual who, who interviewed the celebrities. And I remember standing there, I can't remember what year it was now, and we were on the, they were on the pace lap, and I was to interview the Grand Marshal, which was a Joe Montana, <laughs> cool. who had just won the Super Bowl for the third time, whatever. Yeah. So we go to commercial. I'm standing on pit road, and it's an overcast, typical May day. And so he's, his arms are shaking. I said, hey, I said, hey, Joe, if you're cold, I get one of our ABC jackets and put on you. I said, I'm sorry. He said, no, Doc. He said, man, it's, it's just the emotion. We're standing at the midpoint of pit road, on pit road, right where the yard of bricks comes across. Yeah. He's looking behind him and in front of him around. He said, just get, get this down. I said, there's 300,000 people here. That's more people here today than in all five Super Bowls I've played in combined. Yeah. He said, this is absolutely amazing. It's just the emotion of being yeah. there. He was shaking. Here's a guy that's a three-time MVP yeah, right. of the game. Yeah. So what's that tell you? Yeah. It's amazing. It's an un unbelievable experience. Somewhat tangentially, uh, tangential off of that. Obviously, you did uh, uh, a lot of this was courtesy of your, you know, your long tenure with, with ESPN. Um, I'll start with a joke, but but it's but it's half serious. Uh, when you know ESPN laid off a hundred uh, on-air personalities uh, this spring, and uh, you were obviously one of them, and and you put out what I would say was one of the classiest tweets oh, really? you could have ever put out. You know, it was nothing bad, nothing angry, just thanking ESPN for three decades of, of service and, and how much you enjoyed the relationship. Do you have ever ever have moments where you wish you weren't Dr. Jerry Punch? Oh. And like, you're just such a nice, classy guy, it blows my mind. Like, we're well, like, these mother effers! Like, there yeah. was no moment like that. That's man! Yeah. You know what? I, I tell people that for, I was there for and still am for 32 right. years. Yeah. And um, I think back of the people I got to be around. Yeah. And the great announcers, and the great producers and directors, and the, and, and the incredible athletes right. and venues I got to experience. And they could have they could have looked at me anytime and said, "Hey, hey, son, you're you're a good old boy, redneck from the small town of North Carolina. You go back and be an ER doctor somewhere." Yeah. But they never did. Yeah. They stayed with me. They let me do what I wanted to do. I was a pit announcer. I was a play-by-play -play announcer. I got to do college football, college basketball, called Indy 500, Sports Center, you name it. Uh, I feel so blessed and appreciative. Um, I have a lot of faults, in, 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 but, but ingratitude isn't one of them. I am so grateful for the opportunities ESPN gave me and my family. Right. Um, and was I sad that the phone call came? And, and uh, I think the guy called me was sadder than I was. He, right. he said, I, I can't believe I'm doing this. And I said, hey, it's okay. I said, I've, I've, are you kidding me? I, I, I'm so appreciative of, of, and I said, you know, I feel like I still have a lot to give. I feel like I can still call races and call football games, and, but I understand. You know, things are, you know, the company is in a situation where financially they need to make some cuts, and I get that. Right. And I said, but by me leaving, maybe there's a couple of young people who will get a chance the chance that I got 30 years ago. And, and if, if I think about it that way, I'm okay. Um, am I sad sometimes at night when I look up at a football game yeah. or a race and wish I was there being a part of it? Yeah, because I miss, I miss it. Right. But I also, I have great friends and, um, and great memories, and you, and you can't ever take that away. What do you think the next uh, steps are for you? I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, the the... There are people who talk about going back to one of the motorsports series. You know, my family sacrificed a lot. Um, <clears throat> all the years I was gone, 
they never, I was never there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and part of Monday. And when I did Thursday night football, I was gone Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I was only home Mondays. My wife's a saint. She helped raise the kids. And now I'm able to do something. I'm able to go tailgate on a Saturday in Knoxville, Tennessee. When I was doing football, I never got to understand what tailgating was about because yeah, right. I was always busy preparing for the game yep. or doing a sports center cutting or a pregame. And then I'd have to get on a plane and go somewhere. Now I can sit in the parking lot with my wife and I can go watch my son run through the tunnel. Yeah. And he's my youngest. And so I finally get to see what a dad sees. Yeah. And um, okay. I feel blessed for that. You know, so I don't know. I don't know. So when you're tailgating, are you like a stomach painted, like face, you know, you got a big V or no, something? No, not enough or paint for my stomach in town. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we have a simple tailgate, but it's, you know, it's, uh, we enjoy it. Yeah. We have, I mean, last, last weekend we had 19 people in our tailgate. Oh, man, that's a party right there. Huh? Yeah. But you know what? I, I will say this. I'm so proud, um, and I text him, um, I'm so proud of the courage that Dale Earnhardt Jr. showed yeah. by saying it was time to walk away. Yeah. Courageous move. Proud of what he did. It I, And I text him, and within seconds he texted me right back, said, you know, means a lot. Thank you so much, Doc. Because it was time. With everything he had endured, he needs to be able to have a life. And his family, the way I put it to him was, the Earnhardt family has given enough. Has given enough. Just because you're not in the car doesn't mean you're not a major player in the sport of NASCAR. This sport, we as NASCAR fans need you to be a part of it, and you want to be a part of it. You want to have a family. You know, walk away from driving, stay healthy, and uh, and, and and then be a part of what's happening in the sport. So I'm very proud of, of the courage he showed in making that decision. So, Dr. Jerry, I got to ask, have you ever been gunselman? I had a director. That, that, absolutely. I, I don't know how he shaved in the morning. His arms—he had such alligator arms. <laughs> when it came to picking up the check, everywhere we went, we'd have meals. We all would take turns. Right. This guy who's still directing the day for a major network—I don't think I've ever seen him pick up the check. You know, I don't. You know, in fact, it was such a, a common occurrence that one of our other announcers, Benny Parsons, the legendary Benny Parsons, yeah. asked him. How in the hell do you wipe yourself in the morning <laughs> with arms that short? Because you never picked up a check. And I guess what he did is just gunzelman us. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I appreciate it. I hope you, hope you got something out of this anyway. Oh, you yeah. have no idea. Yeah. I, like, I, we couldn't appreciate the time you spent with us more. Especially, like, I mean, a lot of the guys we're meeting this year have not met us. But, like, literally, you literally are here because Marty Smith said, hey, return this guy's phone call and like that's it that's it. like there's like you've never heard of us no reason to yeah. be here and you've given us two hours Mar that, marty marty's a good dude i, I gotta go take a, a a shirt to my son who just finished football practice probably just back in his dorm now studying he's got a big spanish he's got a business law exam tomorrow not spanish wow. today i got it i had a shirt he needs a dress shirt to, to, to walk in the uh, ball walk on yeah. saturday so i i had to take one of his shirts down to him so i'm gonna run that by while i'm down here so then i'll <laughs> head okay. back home are you gonna Are you gonna be mad at Marty for making uh, making no, you do this? No, no, not okay. at all. Mar Marty's Marty's a good dude. Right. I, you know, he's just a just a good old country boy that you know, you know, and he's done he's done he's done so much with. He's just such a real real guy. Oh yeah, he's just a real you know. What you see with Marty is what you get. There's a lot of people who are 
pretense. Marty's not that way. Yeah. He's a good dude. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, Continental's got the check. I'm finished. All right. Jerry Punch, ladies and gentlemen. Unbelievable guy. Uh, before we uh, wrap out of here, just want a quick shout out to Damian Holt, who recommended Dr. Jer Bear and really wanted to hear him, and glad we could make you happy with that one. But uh, moving on, we are going to close this out with the first of our sort of submissions that we didn't know we didn't meet. The number one complained about feature on Dinner with Racers is free music that we could actually license by promoting new and upcoming bands. Uh, the next one is a group called Freak. That's F-R-E-E-K. Uh, they're available on CD Baby. Uh, just look up again, F-R-E-E-K. Uh, here's a song of theirs called Nevermind, Nevermind, as in never M-I-N-D and then never M-I-N-E. All right, I'm getting text messages. I got to go. <laughs> Feel the wall rush through my bone Face another night alone Baby, you're sweet I'm back out on the street Soul stealer, now you're gone Don't know, can I go on? Yeah.